0: Hey. You ready? Yeah. My hello kitty phone charm fell off. <laughs>
1: oh
0: no, kitty no. <laughs>
1: oh,
0: really Is it broken? It's gone. It's like not even broken. It's like a string to nothing. <laughs> it's like goodbye kitty, not hello kitty.
2: Prepare for trouble. Make it double. We're going to fly over polar bears and see them and look at them and be with the polar bears? Yes. Oh. No, we're not.
3: Yes,
0: we are. No, yes. we're not.
3: Everyone wants a magical solution for their problem, and everyone refuses to believe in magic.
0: Two True Freaks presents Hope of All Trades, hosted by Hope Molnax. Talking like a man and fangirling like a lady since 2010.
3: Frightening people.
1: Give me a Dalek any day.
4: Okay, dude, better
2: get ready, because here comes the thunder!
0: Hi, you guys! I just was going to let you know that in this episode, I was playing with some new audio recording software, so the quality is not where I want it to be, so just bear with it. It's still a really awesome episode. I also forgot to mention that this episode is a part of the Road to 221 Con series that I've been doing, because there will be a cabin pressure panel at 221BCon, and I, I thought that this would be a nice kind of segue about other things that we would be talking about at the con. I hope you enjoy this episode! Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Hope to Ball My name is Hope Molinax. I'm your host for this show. Today we have an awesome show, I'm very excited about this, and a lot of you guys actually requested this show after, you know, talking about this and other Sherlock and Doctor Who episodes. So, without much further ado, here's our episode on cabin pressure. I have a very special guest today, uh, this is not the same Megan that recorded the Hataya episode with me a couple of years ago. This is completely new Megan. So you replaced the old Megan. Congratulations! Hooray! Hello, everybody. Uh, you wanna give an introduction to yourself? Maybe talk about uh, your Tumblr or anything like that? Um, sure.
5: Um, obviously my name's Megan. Um, I have a Tumblr. It's Icarissing.tumblr.com, and mostly I focus on cabin pressure on my blog. Uh, Well, I guess a while ago, actually started making typography, graphics, and um, what's called kinetic animation. It's basically, it's like typography and the letters move and that sort of thing. Because in the cabin pressure fandom at the time, there wasn't really anything besides quotes. And the promo picture is floating around, so I sort of wanted to contribute to the fandom. And it's really awesome how much, like, the creative part of the Captain Pressure fandom has grown since then. I blog about other things, too, but Captain Pressure is kind of my baby. And it's yeah. a cute little baby. <laughs> it's my little flying baby.
0: <laughs> I just imagine, like, throwing... Oh, no, never <laughs> No, we're... Never mind. Let's not go there this early in the show. We'll save that for the later hours. You know the show better than I did.
5: Do you want to give an intro to the show? What's
0: it about? Who's it written by?
5: Sure! So, Cap and Pressure is a radio show. It airs on BBC Radio 4. It's written by John Finnemore. He has also collaborated with other British comedians like uh, David Mitchell, but the show is basically about a very small airline, which isn't an airline because you can't put one jet in a line, as the CEO of the company says. It's called MJN Air, which stands for My Jet Now Air, which the meaning of which is revealed throughout the series, and it's just Kind of a very funny, kind of ridiculous show about the two pilots played by Roger Allum and Benedict Cumberbatch, and the sort of, I don't want to say idiotic, uh, but he's uh, kind of stupid. <laughs> all, all, all the crowns in that crown
0: box are not all there, and they're not all the brightest colors.
1: I think Arthur, his, the
5: steward's name is Arthur Shappy, and he's, he, he's not... He's, he's a very interesting character. He's very much in there for a laugh. And then his mom, actually, is the CEO and is also the stewardess, also sort of the head bitch in charge of MJN Air. She always whips her pilots into shape, and she's kind of a great character. Yeah, it's, it's not... I don't want to say it's not about flying, because it very much is about flying, but... Is more about it's very much a sitcom. It's about four people trapped in a tin box and you know how they pass the time. I think that's a very good explanation. I I
0: think the flying is just you know contributing. It's more about their lives being, you know, pilots and stuff.
5: Right. Centered around that. I mean, MJN is sort of the center for all their lives. Not any you know the the whole cast, the whole crew of the plane doesn't really have much going for them outside of MJ and Air. They so. really don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of pathetic when you think about it, and I think this is a lot of where the, in, in the fandom, there's a lot of sort of foo hoo pathetic kind of stuff around Martin Kreef, who is the captain of the plane, and, you know, it's revealed throughout the series that he's kind of a bad pilot, and he failed his, his pilot test multiple times, and I think this is where, you know, people very clearly see that in Martin, that he has nothing else going for him besides M.G.N. Air, but it's very much true for the rest of the characters as well. So how did you get into the show? Um, I actually used to attend live streams by a couple people that I followed, and one day they started streaming Cabin Pressure, and my first episode was Kick Kick Tardrack, which is I love a great episode a great episode to begin on I mean if you want to recommend Cabin Pressure to somebody that is one of the funniest episodes to give to them you know and it does have some character development stuff that you don't really understand at first so KK Target Jack was my first episode that's, and that's my favorite episode it's definitely in my top five I actually have a clip from that in my opening like little sequence for my show it's one of my favorites definitely and I suppose I just downloaded it after I listened to that I kind of felt with it. I'm not gonna lie I definitely got into this show because of the Sherlock fandom and I think a lot of people did and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that yeah because I was like
0: you know I was looking through and I was like I kept saying all these things about this guy named Martin and I, I was so confused because I don't <laughs> I would only see like three pictures and I didn't realize it was a radio show
5: yeah it's it's so funny I, I do track the Captain pressure tag and I do go in it very often and it's funny. When people don't realize it's a radio show and they download it and they're like, "Where's, where's the picture? I thought this was a TV show." I was like, "No." And I mean, I've been in the cabin pressure fandom for almost, uh, almost a year and a half now. And when I was into it, there were maybe three bloggers that blogged about cabin pressure oh, in wow. any, like substantial way. It was, it was very, 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 very obscure. And the concept of a radio show to most people is, like, really old-farty, boring, I don't want to listen to a radio show. But I'm really glad that with its really exponential increase in popularity that people kind of are much more accepting of it.
0: That's cool. I, the whole point of the show to me that, like, is, like, the big thing is definitely not the plot, it's the characters. Because, I mean, it's, it's like you said, it's a sitcom, it's about their lives. I like to talk about the four main characters, and then I pulled a few uh, extra characters that have become really important, like Herc. And I know you love Carl, so I made sure to throw (laughs) that in too.
5: I do love Carl. He's such a sassy bastard.
0: And I kind of want to talk about Teresa only because I think she's going to become more important in the coming season. Yeah, and I
1: hope so too. Let's
5: start with the four main ones. So uh, let's do Carolyn because it's her jet. Yeah, Carolyn Mapshappy is a formidable lady. I you know you really forget that she's the only main female character on the show because she has such a big presence in the show she she does and she's you know she's not i don't want to use the word overbearing because i don't think that's really what she is but she really runs the show i mean she runs her own airline Uh, she has her own plane she keeps her pilots in shape when they try and do <laughs> crazy
0: things and I, I think a lot of that goes back to what we were saying earlier about this is all I really have going for him up with all of them because we found out in Helsinki that she used to own a shop and she didn't want to be a little old lady owning a shop so she got the jet from
5: her ex-husband and she wanted to make something of it definitely this isn't really in the show but I definitely have this kind of headcanon that oh please talk about know, oh, headcanons I love headcanons <laughs> I really think and Carolyn's first marriage probably didn't last very long, just because of her age and Arthur's age. She gave birth to Arthur when she was like 31 or 32, and Arthur is a product of her second marriage. So I think she probably had kind of an unhappy first marriage. She was maybe like running this sweet shop, and you know maybe her family, like most of her family, was still alive at that point, and that was expected of her that that she would want to run the sweet shop, and she didn't want to do it, but you know she was in this unhappy marriage and having this unhappy job. And I actually mentioned in the BBC, like the biography on like, like the Kevin Pressure BBC website that Carolyn was a stewardess, like before she ran MJN, like that was her job. Huh. So I sort of assumed that's how she met Gordon Shappy, who was her second husband. So I have this kind of idea of this very independent Carolyn who moves away from home and becomes like a stewardess and she's traveling the world. And then she meets Gordon and she gets married and has Arthur and I kinda had the impression that she became more of like a stay-at-home mom, which may not have been what she really wanted, mm-hmm. even though I think she loves Arthur very, very much. I think she always very much had dreams and passions of her own that she couldn't pursue. And finally, late in her life, she has MJN, and I think that very much comes through. But even though this is maybe not an ideal situation for her, she's, she's really going to run with it. But uh, I really love that about Carolyn. That was so good, I'm trying to think of a response, like, she took all the out of my mouth. I've been thinking about these characters for the past year and a half. That's true.
0: <laughs> what I like about Carolyn is that even though she most, like, probably 99% of the time she comes off as being a bit harsh and uncaring, but we see on multiple occasions that she really does love these guys.
5: Yeah, and that she really cares about their well-being. Like, like I said, KK Cardewak was my first episode that I ever heard, and if you remember in that episode, that's Martin's whole speech to her about I live in a horrible attic. I, you know, I don't have nice things. I can't eat nice food. I'm not asking for a salary because. I'm greedy, or I want to take money from you. I'm asking because I really need it. Mm-hmm. You know, Carolyn's reaction to that in KKT is a little standoffish. And at first, I didn't like Carolyn because of that reason. But if you start from Series 1 and, you, you know, you go down, you see such a huge transition. I don't think really in the way that she feels about her crew, but in the way that she expresses her feelings about them. I think in Series 1, Series 2, pretty much... All of season three Except for the very end She's very reserved And very harsh on them But she You know Loves them all the same Series four I think we get a lot of uh Not emotional Carolyn Because that's definitely Not true But she's much quicker To express Her affection for them In a very Carolyn Ish way I
0: don't know I, I think we are getting a, a bit of a more Emotional Carolyn But as you said In her own way But it's, it's more like Instead of You know She's not breaking down crying or she or anything, it's it's when she changed the subject. I'm I'm thinking about when uh her T- t- telling her, you know, I love you every time she changed the subject, or but I think that's her way of showing emotions.
5: Yeah, definitely. That I think that moment was very revealing of her character. She's very, I think, because of her two failed marriages and because of how you know Gordon, who it's kind of alluded that he was abusive in some way, shape, or form, and so I think she's very hesitant to make herself vulnerable, especially to her. Um, Oh,
0: by the way, listeners, this show's going to have spoilers. I should have said that sooner. You should know that if you're listening to my show. It's going to have spoilers. Go on.
5: (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I think Carolyn's afraid to make herself vulnerable to Herc and her hesitance to be, you know, to just say I love you back. Because I think if if Herc was like, I love you, and she was like, oh, I love you too, that wouldn't be very Carolyn-ish at all. I would have been like, girl, what? Yeah, I would have been like, ah. Her whole giving him a stuffed dead sheep Mm -hmm. for his birthday, that's just, that's how Carolyn expresses her love, you know? She loves him, but she gives him something that he hates. Yeah, and something that he's terrified of.
0: I think probably one of the best Carolyn moments to me to show how she really feels about these people, and I'm about to butcher the title of this, but it's the Y title, the (laughs) Yvonne
5: Lesbians. I think it's Yvonne LeBan.
0: I I think think German, so
5: (laughs) that's, like, very (laughs) French. I'm sorry. I apologize to anyone who speaks French. I
0: apologize to everybody because I took German and hated it. Yeah, but the Yvonne LeBan episode why episode because uh, just so you know listeners all the letter every episode is a letter from the alphabet that's how it goes she is actually very encouraging to Martin even though she knows that you know if Martin goes off to try to get this other job and he gets it that's the end of her company Mm -hmm. and that's it that's a big sacrifice I I was actually much more surprised that she was encouraging him other than wanting to let go of this thing that she's worked so hard to have and then the, the more I thought about it I realized I think she's seeing in Martin a little bit of herself, and she doesn't want Martin to waste his life the way she sort of got wasted
5: with like the little shop and all that. It's a really good point. I didn't really even think of it like that because I, like, the company is a really big deal. Also,
0: uh, on the back track of it, I think she knew Chico was Wrangle Herkin, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was the other side of the thing. But I, I do think a lot of it is that she doesn't want to hold Martin back.
5: And uh, there's this line. I think it's in Eva on the bomb that I think that she says, I'm I'm tired of not paying of not being able to pay you like this has weighed on her for a while, because I, I know from Jonathan Moore's blog, he when he wrote on Kick Kick he actually mentioned that in the original version, Martin gets paid. He they work out an agreement in Kick Kick that he gets paid, but that was cut from the final version. And you know, obviously, that's really changed the whole the whole course of the future episodes. I think that this whole not being able to pay Martin has weighed on her, and she feels guilty about it. She doesn't, you know, she sees that this is a failing business and that they're not going to ever get their head above water. And, yeah, I think she really does. I mean, I think she does feel guilty, yes, but I think she does want the best from Martin, and she wants him to be a real pilot, you know. (laughs) I don't think she probably sees him as a real pilot just being with MJN because she probably doesn't really see her airline as a real airline. Apparently it took me a while to warm up to, but now she's just
0: one of those characters, it, it wouldn't be, you know, to have pressure without her.
5: Oh definitely not.
0: What about Mr. Douglas Richardson? Oh Douglas.
1: I
5: I love Douglas. (laughs) What I love about Douglas' character is that, you know, he is kind of a he's kind of like an archetypal, very smooth talking, you know, successful. He he's a he's a cool guy. You know, you'd want to be friends with Douglas. Douglas would get you places. I can't call um, Douglas
0: like Lucifer.
5: I mean, not like saying that he's a devil, but
0: you know, he used to be in this very high position position of power. He used to work Air England.
5: He was a really good
0: he's a good pilot and he had at all and he got
5: stuck and it was a fraud scandal wasn't it? Yeah, actually it's on the, the biography page for Cabin Pressure on the BBC website. It says that Douglas was caught smuggling six or seven silk kimonos out of Hong Kong or Japan. I can't remember and this this not remembering this very intricate detail makes me feel like a bad Cabin Pressure fan. No, you're um, not. <laughs> but he was, he was basically, he was caught smuggling you know, customs somewhere and he got kicked out of Air England for it. And and then he had his fall from
0: grace, and now he is sort of like the smarmy, smooth talker at the bottom of the totem pole, and it kind of reminds me of that kind of Lucifer character that, you know, he wants to do good, but
5: he's kind of stuck here, but at the same time, I think he's okay with it, like, I don't think he cares. I think, I think on the surface, it he likes to sort of pretend it doesn't bother him, and I don't think he's, like, you know, really, like, emotionally broken up about it, but I do think it bothers him to some extent, because, you know, especially paired with the fact that he's getting older, and he should be in his life at a position where he's about to retire, like, a beautiful house and a beautiful wife, and, you know, two kids and a dog, and he doesn't have any of that. He kind of has... Like every other character All he has is MJN And it's I just really appreciate that He could have had a lot going for him And he kind of messed it up it, it is his fault. Oh, I really love that about Douglas. I, I like what, when
0: Douglas's emotions come out more because we, we don't really see it a lot and because he is this farmy, smooth talker. But one of my favorite scenes is when Martin finds out about his
5: wife and that he's been pretending to be the captain and not the co-pilot. That is like one of the best moments in like the whole series, in my opinion. Because you never expect Martin to kind of find something out about Douglas that he can make fun of. And not that Martin, Martin is way too good of a person to make fun of Douglas for it. But Douglas, you know, has been ripping into Martin for the whole series. You know, from everything that he's not a very good pilot, that he's short, that, you know, he's not in a relationship, you know, all that kind of stuff. But Douglas has problems, too. And I like that Martin was the one to find out about it. And then he held it against
0: him for a yeah. long time. Okay. I, I really, really actually in this series want to see Douglas' daughter.
5: I, I was really disappointed that we didn't get to meet her in Series 4. Because we met everybody else's
0: family. You know, that's true. We have. And, and we saw Helena, but we know that Helena cheated on
5: Douglas. They divorced, presumably. Yeah. I But I also have a feeling that Douglas himself doesn't see his daughter very often. He had to fly over her birthday party. Yeah. And I guess I saw that, you know, it's a funny moment. You know, he he strafed his daughter his daughter's birthday party with candies that, you know, giant can be Brick. But it's actually really sad when you think about it, because even, you know, when two divorced parents don't get along, as a general rule, you know, they try to tend to make, you know, the children not the center of conflict. And the fact that Douglas wasn't allowed or couldn't be there, or whatever the case may be, on his daughter's birthday, it's just really, I don't know, it's pretty depressing.
0: (laughs) I I just want to, I'm more interested to see how Douglas changes with his daughter around. I think that all that Smartness would go away and it would give them a lot of fodder to, you know, make fun of him with, because he's probably, you know, much more quiet and like, oh honey, it's okay. I, I could see at first, like, Martin and Carolyn taking this and just being, oh look at him, he's all like on the ground with her, blah blah blah. And I think it'd be either Arthur standing up and saying, no, there's nothing wrong with that, he loves his daughter. Or, or you know, Douglas flat out getting mad at them and saying, yeah, I do love my daughter, what's the point?
1: You
5: know, I, that's very interesting, because I had a, I have a totally different headcanon for, like, Douglas's Relationship with his daughter. What was yours? So I sort of think that she's like a little bit older, maybe like seven or eight. And at
0: first I thought she was probably in her twenties because he's older. And then when they talked about the birthday party, I was like, oh, she's young.
5: Yeah, I'm pretty sure she has to be like the daughter of his second marriage just because of like the age thing. But I think she's probably pretty young. And I think Douglas is definitely very protective of her. But I have this kind of feeling that she is very much like Douglas. (laughs) And she's kind of sarcastic, you know, kind of a pain in the ass to, you know, be a parent for. And so I kind of always had this headcanon that she was kind of exactly like Douglas, and whenever they would get together, you know, trading jokes and, you know, riffing off each other, I I kind of have this scene in my head where Martin meets Douglas's daughter, and Douglas's daughter just totally, like, outwits Martin. Oh. I just I really I, I don't know why like but I've always had this like thought in my head that Martin would be totally flustered <laughs> so. I could see him getting mad at her yeah and I did. And then Douglas being like, no, no, that's my baby, no, yell at me, I, I train her. I think maybe that might have been the case earlier in the series, but I think now that, like, especially after Wokingham, where Douglas, like, sprang to Martin's defense, that Martin would be very kind and generous to Douglas's daughter. It was Helsinki that he got mad at Kieran. Mm-hmm. But you also have to consider that Carolyn doesn't like her sister, obviously, because they hadn't talked in, whatever, 20 years or whatever it was and by proxy probably doesn't really like kieran or oh ruth's husband whose name is slipping my mind but i think there was a general feeling of negativity towards them and also kieran was a little shit and uh, like kieran was a little shit <laughs> and Are you uh, talking about ruth yeah carolyn didn't like ruth and like by proxy didn't really like kieran yeah her husband either and so and also that was very early that was like the uh, very beginning of series two And Martin was a lot more of a dick um, earlier.
0: Yeah, And and, and, he was still just fairly new to the company, too.
5: I haven't really worked out this hard I don't know. I'm wondering
0: if each series is actually a full year. Because we know between the... I'm not sure about Berlin Days. Because we know that there's a Berlin Day in Season 1. Yeah, Edinburgh. And then there's not one in Season 2. But we get a Berlin Day in Season 3. And they were talking about it being last year.
5: I think it, that's probably roughly correct. There's a reference in, I guess it must have been Kuala Lumpur with the like the secret bars club thing going on in the airfield. Martin had been there almost a year and a half, mm-hmm. and that was at like what what number was Kuala Lumpur? Eleven. Yeah, it was in Kuala Lumpur that they say that Martin says that he's been there because he's like I've been here nearly a year and a half, and boohoo, you haven't invited me to your secret clubs. Nobody likes me. Yeah, I think that's probably roughly correct. I think it jumps between like series 3 to series 4 cuz if I'm not mistaken, there's a reference to Martin being at MJM for 5 years in series 4, somewhere in series. Four. Oh, I don't remember. I mean, I've only listened to Series 4 a couple times, so I could be not making this up entirely, but I think that's the case. I think it's rough, and John Finnamore on his blog has also said that it's, like, roughly the same time, but if you pay attention to even on Le bon, the Why episode, the Swiss air guy says that Martin can start the job in June, and then later in the episode, when Martin is telling Arthur that he got the job, he's like, I can start in three months, which puts the last episode in March. So you know it's roughly the same sort of time period, but not. I don't think it's clear cut. Mm-hmm. So Douglas, <laughs> no, it's like. I know one. we've gotten off on so many tangents.
0: I I love tangents in my show. Yeah. That's actually where my Road to 221 B Con Sherlock episodes came from. I was because uh, I've been doing a series of Sherlock Holmes episodes, and mm-hmm. it was, came out of a thirty to forty-five minute Sherlock tangent in the middle of a Doctor Who episode with my <laughs> arch nemesis. Yeah, I yeah. have an arch nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> What are general feelings about Douglas? Because, like, originally, like, Martin straight off was my favorite character, but Douglas quickly grew on me. They all have. Like, I, I can't really pick a favorite because I love and don't like them all for different reasons.
5: I'm very much like Douglas. A lot of people don't, would, when I say that, people are like, no, you're not. You're too nice. I'm like, no, nah, that's not how I really am. Like, I'm very much like Douglas. So, I sort of automatically like Douglas. <laughs> um, but, I... I can't remember disliking him. I think he can be a little cruel, especially in the beginning of the, of the series, towards Martin and Arthur. He can take things a little far, mm. and that is one thing I don't like about Douglas. Most. But it all, it
0: all really came out to bite him, because, like, season three to me, it was the time that, like, Douglas constantly got owned. Like, he constantly was messing up. He's the reason they messed up in St. Mary. Well, in the end, we found out it's Arthur, but, you know, Douglas was adding to that and. Rotterdam, he had to jump into the water at the end, like, they wouldn't pass, they had to make the safety video, I mean, like, he got, I think, like, the karma came back to him in season three.
5: Yeah, I, I, actually, I've never realized that, but you're very much right. In Newcastle, I think, is one of the moments where Douglas it's a very very small moment, but he gets spurned quite violently. Not not like in a physical violence, but he you know he kind of offhandedly mentions to Herc, oh I could throw my CV over to Swiss Air, and Herc's like, haha, no you wouldn't. And he I think that very much takes him aback. So yeah, that's very true. Douglas, he, you want to pretend that he doesn't you know reap what he sows, but. You're right, things do come back to bite him. I mean, I personally don't tend to immediately realize that because Douglas is such a smarmy, you know, sarcastic, nothing bothering me type of character. So you ready to talk about your baby? What's that? You ready to talk about your baby? My baby. Your baby, little Arthur. Ugh, Arthur. Look... I I would think 80% of the fandom loves Martin creep which is fine. Like, everybody is entitled to whatever. But I love Arthur Shaffey. One, because he is so just disgustingly Thickeningly sweet, happy all the time. That's just great it's on my nerves in real life when people are peppy and happy like that. But Arthur, I just absolutely love that about him. It is very easy to say, oh, Arthur's an idiot. He is an idiot, but he has a wisdom that I don't think any of the other crew members have. And when- I, I think it's it's so like, he's so...
0: I don't want to say simple, but... Because I, I don't really think Arthur is an idiot. I just don't think he has common sense. And and my, my feelings are because I'm, I'm very much the same way. Like, I'm very book smart, but I have, like, zero street smarts. And I'm so I'm very much in the Arthur camp. To me, it's just, like, he's so... Everything is so simple to him that he can see the black and the white when they're all focusing on the gray areas and they can't see it. He's like, no, guys, it's that. And they're like, oh... Like in St. Petersburg when he wasn't freaking out that they crashed. And it was the end of the company. And at the very end, he's like, "Oh, and Douglas worked it out, and everything's okay." Well, I knew that. <laughs> and, like, they yeah. should have just
5: believed Arthur in the beginning. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Like about the black and white and the gray, and yeah, that's a really good way to put it. I think John Fenimore put it that you know Arthur is not stupid. He just sees sees things very literally, mm-hmm. which you can't. There's definitely comedic moments, especially that kind of hinge on that definition of Arthur but I just Arthur is such a great contrast to the rest of the characters because you know he is very happy with whatever happens to MJN you know I think he would want it to continue but like he says I think in the last episode if I'm not mistaken you know oh I could go be one of those hotel guys with the bird cages for suitcases You know, he he would be happy doing anything, and he's happy to be around Martin and Douglas and his mom, of course. You know, to be, I think, to be included and, you know, to be part of a a group of friends. To me, I, I think the one standing
0: up point about Arthur that I love the most is he does not try to outdo any of them. Like, they're all constantly playing these games and trying to one-up each other, and, like, and Day, they're trying to sneak around each other. Whenever we, he tries to, you know, join in those, he just fails miserably. And he's okay not having to one-up his way among the rest of them because he's just, as you said, he just wants to be with them.
5: Yeah, I don't think it even occurs to Arthur to try and one-up Douglas or Martin or his mom. Like, I don't think he would ever even attempt to, like, lie to his mom. Like, oh, what was... It It was Kuala Lumpur again that he was supposed to lie to Carolyn about where he'd been because he'd been in the, you know, the secret pub in the airfield, and he was supposed to lie to her about where he was, and he just is horrible at it. He's absolutely terrible. It doesn't... I don't think it even occurs to Arthur to lie or, you know, play the rest. Of the Bruce little semi-morally dubious games. But
0: one thing I really want to point out that I, I think is a big debate about Arthur's character is in St. Petersburg, there's definitely something going on with his father. What yeah. are your thoughts on that? Because we see that, like, for the first time, he doesn't say that something's brilliant. And Arthur and Martin about had a connection, not Arthur and Martin, not Douglas and Martin. Like, we're freaking out. They're like, oh, my God, this man must be terrible because Arthur just thinks he's okay, not
5: brilliant and i think they're very right you know arthur loves everything he unabashedly he's enthusiastic about everything he loves everything and then when his father comes into the picture he's he just kind of stops and he's you can it's not like a stereotypical reaction of being terrified but i think that is really what is happening in st petersburg that that seems more chilling to me than the plane crash not to me, but yeah, I can definitely ag- agree that it was very off-putting, especially the first time you listened to it. And you know that Gordon is not a great guy, just from the little snippets we've gotten of his, you know, when he calls Carolyn and offers to buy the plane a couple times. So we don't really like Gordon, But we don't really know much about him. And I think in this moment we suddenly go, oh, my God, what kind of man, you know, is Gordon that Arthur would have such a negative for him? Yeah, he's he, totally horrified at the prospect of his father. Seeing and he, his and he feels the urge to buy him a gift, which
0: like I'm, I'm wondering if it's one of those things that, you know, Gordon never really accepted his love. In, in a, instead of, like, a father trying to buy the love of their kid, Arthur was trying to buy the love of his father.
5: I also got the impression that Arthur hadn't seen his dad in quite a while, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. You know, and he feels the need to impress him or, you know, I always had the headcanon that Gordon, maybe he wasn't a abusive towards Arthur. I think there was definitely something with Carolyn. I think he just didn't love Arthur, and Arthur isn't, he's not stupid enough to not realize that. I think Arthur's very aware of how his father feels about him and felt about him as a child.
1: It's been a
0: while since I've listened to St. Petersburg. Did Gordon ever ask Carolyn how Arthur was doing? Like, did he ever
5: actually mention Arthur once? Not directly. He, Arthur and Gordon are in the same room at one moment. You know, Arthur doesn't help. Oh, hi, 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 Dad, Dad, ha, 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 that's that's not funny. That's who you are, and he he's just so. It's, it's, it is really kind of shocking to see Arthur like that. It makes Carolyn look less cold. Yeah, it makes Carolyn look like Mother of the Year. Um, <laughs> you know, like... And we always have known that even though Carolyn is a little... Uh, she can be kind of a little cruel to Arthur at points, um, just like Douglas can. She very much fiercely loves him and is very protective of him, and he loves her as well. I, I wonder if it was an unplanned pregnancy. You know, I've considered this, but for some reason, just in my mind, I feel like Carolyn and Gordon were married. And maybe, I don't know, I think it was more, at least on Gordon's end, disappointment in how Arthur, you know, turned out. I think if their child had been, you know... Right. I think it would have been very different, but the fact that he's Arthur, you know, I, I just don't think Gordon would care about a child like that at all.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, I promise this is a comedy series.
5: Yeah, this is not a sad show at all. It actually, I, I would kind of consider it like, I sort
0: of consider it like a dark comedy almost, because, you know, these people are, you know, as we said, have nothing really going for them, and when you actually think about their lives, it's
5: really sad. And you have to laugh at it to not be sad for them. I think John Pinnemore mentioned on his blog, a, a very recent blog post, actually. Oh, you know what? Actually, it was the responses to the end of the series that he was responding to in turn, that he somebody said, I thought this was supposed to be a comedy. And he's was like, it, things have to go wrong for them for it the, to be funny. If things always go right, you know, there's nothing to laugh at. Were you talking about his most recent blog post? Yes.
0: Okay, this is the reaction that really taken me by surprise. I I predict a certain amount of frustration about the ending of, the, of a cliffhanger, but I'm completely taken aback by the amount of crying I'm apparently caused. Look, I didn't mean to be an insensitive bastard, but what's so sad? I mean, Martin got the job. He got 100% on his tick exam, and everyone at MJN gave him a great, uh, wait. Maybe I'm reading the wrong part.
5: I'm reading the wrong part like that. I think it was the most recent blog post, but I could be wrong. It might have been a Twitter post or something. I stalked that man so much. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, now that I completely
0: failed at reading, (laughs) I agree. It's somewhere. But yes, everything can't go nicely for them, or else it'd be really boring. Uh, I mean, there'd be nothing to laugh at. You know, we laugh at them because thank God it's not happening to us, you know? <laughs> thank God we're not stuck in a tree with a dead sheep. Right, right. <laughs> I'm gonna move on to my baby. Okay, so I'm gonna talk about fandom leaders, because the big thing that I always do on my shows is I like to talk about the general fandom and our takes on it and stuff like that. And the one thing about Martin is is that I he, he is my favorite character. I will admit I got into the show because of Benedict Cumberbatch and the Sherlock fandom. I, I I sort of feel like the cabin pressure fandom is sometimes considered like the red-headed younger brother of the Sherlock fandom. Definitely. I, I did come into it for Benedict, but I stayed for everybody else, and I stayed for the writing, and I stayed for John Finnamore, and I stayed for the show. Though so sometimes it gets me really upset that, you know, you know I, I posted something about Martin when I was live blogging Series 4. And someone wrote me back this message, this anonymous message, saying, like, oh, you Martin lovers and stuff like that, like, you're only in this for Benedict batch blah, blah, blah. And it really upset me, because I, I feel like Martin and fans can't really be too open about their love because of that criticism. But I love his character because it's Martin, not because it's Benedict. Because I like Tom Goodman Hill just as much as
5: Newcastle as Martin. Yeah, I think a lot of, like, fandom sort of, you know, negativity towards people who like Martin Kreef a lot does actually stem from Newcastle and the fact that people don't know, but a different actor played Martin Kreef in Newcastle because Benedict Cumberbatch was sick that day and he didn't have a voice. Especially at the beginning, there were a lot of posts about, oh my god, who's this? This isn't Benedict Cumberbatch. I don't like this. I'm not listening to this episode. I I think that got a lot of older... you know, fans that were in it for a longer time kind of frustrated because Newcastle is an amazing episode. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people cast that away. Additionally, I think Tumblr in general is a it has a bit of animosity towards Sherlock fans so I think that probably carries over as well which is a little ironic considering that I don't think I've ever found a Captain Pressure fan who wasn't also a Sherlock fan.
0: I've seen one or two but a lot of times it's the other way around like I I, I follow a Confession Sherlock blog and I remember seeing one of saying like I'm a Sherlock fan but I I don't feel like it's a requirement to like Captain Pressure.
5: Yeah, definitely the Sherlock fandom is much, much, much bigger than the Captain Pressure fandom. But I think the Captain Pressure fandom is sort of a subsidiary to kind of the Sherlock, Doctor Who. And Finmore even plays on that. Like, he has that one where he purposely
0: wrote in uh, a Sherlock line for Ben. And when it came out, instead of being like the, answer, the joke was instead of Sherlock Holmes, it was Miss Marple.
5: Yeah, and that was, it's kind of a nice little Easter egg for, you know, people who do like Benedict Cumberbatch in both of his roles as Sherlock and as Martin Creed because they're very, very different characters. They're incredibly different. And, you know, for someone to be like, oh, Benedict Cumberbatch, he's Sherlock. Oh, he's Sherlock in this other thing about planes. No, he's totally different. Benedict Cumberbatch is an amazing actor. Just, I just want to say that one thing I,
0: I really like about temperature is the fact that he's having a chance to do a comedy because he, he usually plays such dramatic roles and I know that he wants to play comedy like I know that's something that he loves doing as he's sort of starting to get typecast a little bit and he's like villain or Sherlock roles or like very dramatic roles and I, I am happy that he's becoming more
5: known because he's so funny yeah he's definitely played a lot of like brooding characters calculating yeah. cold yeah dark past kind of thing. It's really funny to hear him as Martin Creed who's like, you
1: know, <laughs>
5: any show movie whatever because of a certain actor I don't think should automatically like be you know put down for that because that's how we get into things we find somebody's work that we like and we branch out from that you know the problem only arises when you ignore the actual work in favor of you know, just wanting to consume everything that a certain person has done without recognizing that there's other elements at play here and those are also also amazing.
0: The way I kind of see like things that we like and finding new things that we like it's almost sort of like string theory like or not string theory but like it's like it's like following a string and everything's cause and effect because like I remember being in college meeting up with some anime friends well these anime friends like Doctor Who so I started watching Doctor Who and through that I found out that the writers of the news series with Matt Smith was Gated and Moffat Gated Moffat well, Moffat, mostly, but Gatiss wrote on them. And then they were doing Sherlock. In turn, I found cabin pressure. I mean, in turn, I was like, holy cow, Robert, Robert uh, Roger Allen is a V for Vendetta, one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, I mean, I don't, I don't think that we should be knocked for getting to one thing because of another thing. Or for an actor.
5: Yeah, it's definitely one of those, just, it's, it's just like one of those phenomenons that you see over and over and over again. That, you know, people get shamed for liking something or coming to something because of a certain person. It's unfortunate that the Sherlock fandom carries so much baggage because I think that really has affected probably a number of people's... Like it's it carried
0: over into the Hobbit fandom, the Lord of the Rings fandom.
5: yeah. Unfortunately,
0: because I I've been a Lord of the Rings fan since the movies came out when I was in middle school. Like I, that was a, a good chunk of my life was the Lord of the Rings fandom. I just remember going then dressing up and going to the Fox Theater when they were screening it there as a the special screening with my friend. That was so cool too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm
0: just saying, it was so cool. And that was I was happy to hear that Martin was in The Hobbit and stuff like that. But I mean, at the same time. I, and, I, and I do love crossovers, don't get me wrong. Like, one of my favorite things is cabin lock. Like, I, I, I love crossovers. But there's a point in time that I, I, I kind of felt like the reason people were liking The Hobbit was not for The Hobbit. Because it was Martin Freeman and he was John Watson. And, and that's not saying, like, if you're a new fan of The Hobbit, that you can't like it because Martin Freeman got you, got you there. That's not what I'm saying at all. I mean, that's totally cool. But I'm, I'm more saying that, you know, um, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, I think like the whole point of like any discussion of any fandom anywhere is that there's more to, you know, a TV show or a movie or a book, whatever. There's always going to be so many components to liking this thing, and if you only like one of those components, I I, I don't want to say, oh, that doesn't make you a real fan, because I really hate that term, but truly liking something, it requires being involved in, you know, more than one aspect of this thing. So, you know, if you have never watched Lord of the Rings, or never read Lord of the Rings, and never read The Hobbit, and, you know, have absolutely nothing, no sort of history of High fantasy or any of this stuff, and you watch The Hobbit, and because of Martin Freeman's in it, and you go, Well, Martin Freeman was pretty good, but I didn't really care about the rest of that stuff, then that's not really an appropriate response. But if you watch The Hobbit and go, Wow, that was really interesting, maybe I'll go read The Hobbit, maybe I'll go see Lord of the Rings, you know, whatever then that's an appropriate response and we should foster that kind of response instead of going, oh, well, you haven't read the books, so, you know, you're not really a real fan.
0: I'm, I'm going to slightly agree and disagree with you on that point because I do agree. I, I think if, you know, you know Zero about it and you go see The Hobbit and then it makes you go, hey, I, I want to look into this other stuff, that's totally cool. I, I But I also think it's okay that if you go into it and you see it and you go, well, that was cool, I liked Martin Freeman, I didn't like the rest of the stuff, though, I mean, that's okay too. I mean, I, The Hobbit's not for everybody. But, but I don't want to, but to agree back to your point, you shouldn't disagree with it when you're like, oh, I just like the Martin parts. I really didn't like the other stuff. And I, I like the Martin parts. Because he was John Watson. I guess that's the point that it's more trying to make.
5: Yeah, yeah. It's definitely totally fine to just like something. Like, I don't want to say, oh, you have to like everything you like. Right, you got to like
0: everything we like because we're cool.
5: But, you know, if you see The Hobbit with no prior experience in that sort of world, and you go, ha-ha, John Watson was great as a hobbit, and ha-ha, Sherlock was at the end, like, ah, that frustrates me. Because,
0: I mean, Martin is nothing like John. Like, it's, there, there was probably about the first, like, two seconds, I was just like, look, it's Martin Freeman. But then I got so immersed in Bilbo. We are way on top of it. <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> right? Like, going back to Sherlock, like but that's how I kind of feel about Martin. Because like at, at the beginning, I will admit, I I was almost expecting, you know, then uh, Martin to be a little bit like Sherlock, and it was a complete 180. And but then I fell in love with Martin, and like I and, and he is a dick in the beginning, but he's a lovable dick. Like there was always just something about Martin that I kept going back to, and I I, I think just because I I feel for him a little bit, you know. I mean, I'm not the richest kid. I I everybody struggles. It's a recession. I, I understand that side of him. I know it's like to be alone and lonely and, you know, not really be very lucky in love. Like, there's just always just something about Martin I kept
5: going back to. I think Martin is, like you said, he's a very identifiable character for many people. He's not Everybody's a Stephanie and not
0: everybody is a Douglas.
5: Like, you know, I, I
0: think he's... I hmm I'm about to retract my statement I was about to say I think he's the most vulnerable character but I take that because everybody else is just as vulnerable they just hide it better
5: yeah and I think that's funny that you bring that up because that was a point that I wanted to make is that you know people I think people see Martin's vulnerability easier but Martin's an extremely tenacious character just like Carolyn is He's very driven. He failed his CPL four or seven times. The numbers change and we're not really sure. Unless, you know, he,
0: kept, he's been, he keeps trying to do it just to get better.
5: I think he failed at that many times. I don't think he, like, passed it and then was like, well, I didn't get a 100, so. I mean, <laughs> so it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? That's true. It wouldn't surprise me, but I think he, because it costs so much to take the CPL, I think he just failed it multiple times. But Martin is so driven, he has very clear goals, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to reach those goals. And so yes, he is a vulnerable character. He has quite a few weaknesses, just like the other characters, but he also has, you know, this, this drive that really is a bit absent in the rest of them.
0: I, I wonder if that's because of his age. Like like putting Arthur to the side because, you know, Arthur's Arthur's and he's just happy to be alive. Comparing Martin to Carolyn and Douglas, I wonder if that's because of their age. Because they're kind of in more of their golden years. They have the experience. They're they're more just happy
5: to settle. But Martin's not there yet. He he still is not where he wants to be. That's definitely true. And I mentioned before that this isn't where Douglas pictured himself ten years ago. He thought he would be retiring and he would have everything and he doesn't. And I think he's coming to grips with that. And Martin, he's had many failures, but he also knows how to pick himself up and keep moving. Whereas I think Douglas, you know, he's pretty much had a pretty easy life. I don't think he knows how to do that as well as Martin does.
0: I think it's more, hmm. I, I, think, I don't want to say more brave. I can't think of a better word. I think it's more admirable the fact that Martin wears his emotions on his sleeve because it does make him an easier target. I mean, but I, I do feel like, you know, he does have more drive than the rest of it, and I, I do think some of it, is, and, I, I, and I think it's something he just doesn't see what they they have seen, you know? They have more experience on him, and he is, he, he's younger, and he has more drive, and he doesn't want to settle.
5: You know, Martin is, you know, in his mid-30s, and he spent most of his life trying to be a pilot, spent probably all of his 20s taking classes and doing flying lessons because I don't think a lot of people realize this, but it takes an incredibly long time to learn how to be the kind of pilot that Martin is. You can get a private pilot's license in a fairly short amount of time, but you know, there's different pilot's license licenses depending on how large the aircraft is. And for Martin to be a professional pilot takes a lot of time and a lot of money. You know, Martin has probably spent most of his life working to be a pilot. For him to be at MJN is not a failure in my eyes, or I don't think in his eyes either. I think this is probably his first, well, I'm pretty sure it's canonically his first pilot job. I think he mentioned that he was a puddle jumper. I don't don't know know what that is. A puddle jumper? Oh, it's it's like those planes that land on the water. Oh. It must have been in this series because I don't remember at all what episode it was in. Or if I'm just making this up. See, this is a problem. When you read so much cabin pressure fan fiction, these things just blend together. (laughs) Um... I, I have the same problem. It's totally okay. Because then you're just like, well, he said, no, it's But anyway, so this is Martin's first real pilot job. This is what he's always wanted. And I think he's not unhappy with it, but I think he knows that he can do more. And he's not content, you know, to stay at this tiny little airline as much as he loves Douglas and Arthur and Carolyn. I think deep down in his heart, he really does want to move on, despite the fact that he loves his crew so much.
0: No. We kind of gave a nice round report about all the four main characters. They are a family. You know, I I think looking at, I I was kind of thinking about each of their family lives and stuff like that. And we, we know Martin's mother loves him but he's a bit estranged from his brother and his sister and I, I kind of see Douglas as his older brother slash uncle figure and, and Arthur's certainly his younger brother kind of figure and Carolyn's kind of like the mom and they all really do look out for each other because like the moment that somebody else starts infringing on their family and taking on them they stand up for them and it's like when they're like I you
5: I can make fun of them but you can't. Exactly exactly. Yeah they're definitely a family it's, it's hard to if somebody you know has only gone through Series 1 or Series 2, it's kind of hard to see that. Their relationship is pretty prickly in, like, the first series. And, you know, at times, later in Series 2, Series 3, even Series 4, but they really do care about one another, despite their, you know, their jibes and their kind of relentless game playing where Martin always loses unless it's beat the manual because he's memorized the manual, which is kind of cheating. You know, they really do... About each other.
0: And then that's why I made me a little bit mad. In. I'm gonna butcher all these your names. You're sh- curty You a A skirty! I can still say Helsinki, but I can't say it. you Helsinki!
5: Sorry. Helsinki! <laughs> I can't hear the word Helsinki without thinking of Arthur going Helsinki, and I have to do it every time. Sorry, continue. There's definitely
0: a point where I'm like watching the Weather Channel or like I hear something on the news or read something online. If I see the titles of one of the things, yep. it's something else, I'm just like, ah, it's that thing! Yep. <laughs> I mean, they, they were doing it, uh, like I think a few months ago, this like thing, and they were talking about like weather around the world, and they were like, and oh, now in Helsinki, and I went, Helsinki! <laughs> But, like, it actually made me a bit mad at Carolyn in the Gertie, the fact that she was so insensitive about Martin losing his father's reign. Uh, because I know that they were a family, and I know that she cares for Martin, and I know that, you know, that she wants to get out of there and stuff like that. But it actually made me really mad because I know that she cares for Martin and his well-being more than she cares for probably her hurt with a sheep.
5: Yeah, I I agree. I was a little off put by how Carolyn acted much more like a season one or season two Carolyn rather than the Carolyn that we know has become more openly affectionate with Martin and you know Douglas. It was very clear that his father's ring was something that was extremely important to Martin. I was surprised at the end of
0: the episode that Martin didn't quit. Like I, I was getting very Scared at the end of that episode that he was going to quit. Like, and I remember like talking to another friend about this, and she was just like, I think you're so much more emotionally invested in this show, but I wouldn't put it past John Finnamore. Like, I, I was, I was waiting for it. And when the episode ended, I was just like, Oh, thank God, he didn't quit. But I I was almost half waiting at the beginning of the dues Martin not working at MJN anymore and them trying to get him back. That, that's the direction I thought it was going in.
5: Yeah, I, I think we don't really get the explicit confirmation of how Martin feels about his place in MJN until Yvonne Le Bon, sorry, why episode of yeah, um, Le, Le, Bon's. Le Bon's. we don't get explicit confirmation that, you know, he really doesn't want to leave or that he has serious reservations about leaving. Because, you know, at the end of the episode, he's telling Arthur that he got it. You know, Arthur's like, oh, that's really great. And Martin's like, is it great? But I think you're right that without the last episode, that that Martin quitting, becoming really fed up with the whole situation, could have been very possible. I want to talk about the final member
0: of this family, and then before we hop into a few minor characters. To me, there is a very special character that deserves at least like a, like a little nod, and that's Gertie because
5: kind of she's a character of her own she is i MJN would not be MJN without Gertie. There was a point a couple of weeks ago on my Tumblr of people theorizing about what would happen to MJN, um, um if this was gonna be the last series, blah blah blah. Somebody theorized that Swiss Air would, you know, which was buying up smaller airlines, would buy MJN and you know they could just carry on being MJN while still being Swiss Air, and I said that would be great. But they wouldn't be able to keep Gertie. You know, they would be, the the plane would be replaced because it's, you know, basically falling apart. And I was like, I don't want cabin pressure without Gertie. Because what, you know, she falls apart. The airplane who cries wolf falls apart at every waking moment, waiting to fall out of the sky. You know, she's great. I, I definitely agree. I see Gertie as a main character as well. I mean, and even when she,
0: I think one of my favorite moments is in the Christmas episode when they turn on all the warning lights and like, like poor Gertie's freaking out because they're on the ground and they're not moving but she thinks that they're flying and you know moving and she's
5: like panicking. That is one of my favorite episodes, but it's funny because I actually watch a lot of cockpit videos on YouTube of, like, private pilots who fly very small planes. Some of them, you know, are business jets, but just for everybody's information, Gertie is not the size of the 747, okay? She's a very small, would be classified as a super, um, or a jumbo business jet. did um, you say that she holds something like 21 people or something like that? Um, yeah, it's 16 feet. In my head, the configuration is two seats together on either side of the plane which 16 ugh, math ugh, it makes basically four windows um, on each side of the plane so you can imagine how small she is you know from that
1: i had so, follow a
0: very good cabin pressure group on twitter Cabin pressure fans and uh on their website it's uh their twitter is cabin underscore pressure uh, the cabin pressure fans.co.uk. They actually have a nice breakdown of probably what Gertie looks like on their website.
5: Yeah, I have seen that. I'm pretty sure. I think there were a couple things I disagreed with it, but I don't. you know, you know everybody is free to have their own Gertie head cannons. Like it doesn't make much of a difference. But as I was saying, I watch a lot of cockpit videos on YouTube. The funny thing is, there's not a lot of room in these cockpits. Like you are really surrounded by instruments and you know dials and levers and you know radios and all this stuff. This you are basically kind of swaddled in plane. Um,
1: swaddled in plane.
5: <laughs> <laughs> a really good way. So you were entirely surrounded by controls. And so if you can imagine Douglas and Martin being kind of completely encompassed in front of them, at their feet, at their arm, at either side of their arms, behind them, on the floor, it's just covered in plane instruments. You know, they're staring at it all day every time they fly. It very much You know, they spend a lot of time with Gertie. They're really, I want to say they're all up in her junk. But, you know, that's pretty much how it is. So
0: it's kind of an intimate relationship. Not in a way, way guys. They to her very lovingly, too. Like, they they talk about her so fondly. Like, she was like the old decrepit grandmother sitting in the corner at Christmas. And they're
5: like, oh, it's Gertie. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, she is kind of like the 95 year old great grandmother who sits in a rocking chair, tells you stories about, you know, when I was an airplane, I had, to, <laughs> I had to, I have been, uh, we uh, drop candy bricks better than you and get <laughs> off my lawn. We didn't need no hydraulic system to land in the Sahara Desert. You kids these days.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because she's the important, like, the, you know, we wouldn't have the episode St. Petersburg if she didn't blow on an engine.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, so she's she's just as important as everybody else in this show.
5: And you also have to take into account that she used to be Gordon's plane. Yeah. Um, and now she's Carolyn's plane. You know, she's all, she's all Carolyn's now. I don't know. I just really
0: like that. I feel like there's some, like, really deep, long, like, 10 to 20-page essay breaking down how Gertie is actually a representation of everybody else in this show. <laughs>
5: Hey, give me
0: three hours, and I'll do it. Uh, if you could write 20 pages in three hours, holy cow. Hey, I I am good, okay? especially I'm good, too, cat. but still, I'm, unless I'm feeling the fear of, holy God, I'm going to fail this class if I don't out these 20
5: pages in three hours. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> because sometimes people send an ass to my ass box they'll just ask me kind of an innocuous question about cabin pressure and they get answered with like 7 to 10 paragraphs of what I feel about cabin pressure and I always i am like uh nobody really wants to read this I'm sort of sorry but not really you don't know how many questions about horse feed that I get in my ass box about what? A horse demon, you know, I'm limerick. <laughs> I,
1: think,
0: I always forget what's in the box, and then every time I remember what's in the box, I'm just like, oh,
5: yeah, ew. Yeah.
0: I always forget, what I always remember. So, um, just to toss out a few uh, other minor characters, Herc is, I think, going to become more prominent. I actually was not. I was very surprised at the end of the series that he didn't join MJ in Air. But I kind of felt like that was the obvious choice. Like, you know, he's going to Air Switzerland, right? Yeah. And 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 he uh, he's going to Air Switzerland, and but he has to make this choice between Carolyn and going to Air Switzerland, and I was just like. Why doesn't he just join MJN, and then that way he can be with Carolyn, and they're still together? But then I
5: realized that was a very obvious choice, and there'd be no plot conflict. And there's also, it's not like Carolyn would be able to pay Herc, and I don't really think Herc could finance. me, mean, I mean, he's kind of a young guy, he is like eight or nine years younger than Carolyn, and I mean, I don't I mean he's young, he's like 58 or 59 by my calculations, but I, I never really thought that Herc would join MJN, for a multitude of reasons, namely that he wouldn't a salary, he has too much history with Douglas, and also it, it would be kind of strange... For like your significant other to be your boss.
0: Yeah, I just realized we should probably tell in case nope somebody doesn't know who Herc is. Herc is Carolyn's now boyfriend. Like they meet in Newcastle, and then they uh, by the end of season before they they've been dating well over a year.
5: Yeah, I I love that Herc, Herc Herc asks Carolyn out in Newcastle, and he's like, we should go see an opera, and Carolyn's like, um, no, I hate opera. And then he's like, well, oh, okay, Then thinking he's just been rejected, and this has been, like, her reason for it. And then Carolyn's like, well, but I like, like, lo- walking my dog, so you should come with me to walk my dog, and then we'll go have lunch. And he's like... Oh okay and then she's like okay bye (laughs) like she's just so great but sorry that was a tangent (laughs) okay in my head i was going snooper do in my experience i have not seen a lot of carolyn douglas ships and i think it's because people thought that the age gap kind of ruled it out especially since carolyn has an adult son and douglas has a has a child who is probably less than 10 years old or so Um, Herc is Douglas's age, and he's definitely going up with Carolyn, so that's pretty great. I really like when older women end up with younger men in, like, TV series and stuff. Oh my god, Carolyn's a cougar. Right? (laughs) She's a cougar. (laughs) Oh, it's just really great because you you would think of, like, a Douglas character or a Hurt character to be kind of womanizing and would go out with, like, a really attractive 23-year-old stewardess who doesn't know any better. But he picks Carolyn because she is one badass lady, Mm -hmm. and um, I really love that relationship.
0: Hertz actually brought out some of my more some of my moments where I, I sort of questioned Douglas. I'm so torn about how Douglas feels about this whole situation. Because on one side, you know, he's he's Herc's rival. They they have a history, they don't really like each other, they're each other's rivals. So I was kind of feeling like you know, he just didn't want Hurt there in general. But then I started like seeing how like he got extra perfectly when perfectly when uh, uh, uh Carolyn would talk about him and stuff like that. And there is some, like, theories flying around that he's actually in love with Carolyn and that he was just jealous. But I kind of like the idea more is the whole family aspect. Like, I think Herc knows, or uh, Douglas knows something about Herc that we don't and that Carolyn doesn't. And I think he's very protective of her and, you know, it's probably something that's not his secret to tell or he's just or he doesn't know how to tell it because he doesn't want to hurt Carolyn's feelings.
5: Yeah, I mean, if we consider that Douglas and Herc were kind of mates um, during their Air England years, and they were, you know, probably younger, they probably got up to lots of mm, crazy bachelor stuff together, and Douglas was a part of that and knows everything probably went on, you know, whether that was questionable relationships with women or alcohol, you know, I think it was probably just general kind of craziness that they did together as friends that they probably outgrew you know as they got married. And then you consider that Herc has been married four times. Douglas has been married three times and, you know, marriages end because they fail. It's a failed relationship. And so I think Douglas is afraid of, you know, Carolyn being hurt by Herc in the way that Douglas has been hurt by his ex wives and Herc has probably hurt his ex wives and, you know, it's kind of unusual not niceness. And so I, I agree that Douglas is he's overprotective, I think. I kinda wish I knew why. Yeah, but
0: the, the speculating is fun.
5: I'm not sure that we'll ever find out. Um I don't know why I feel like that. I just feel like that's not something that's ever gonna come up. Maybe it's just because it's kind of on the table already and John Penimore has a tendency of not revealing things that we expect. I don't think we ever expected, you know, Douglas to reveal that Helena was cheating on him. I don't think that ever kinda came into our minds i don't know i think it would definitely be interesting i think there's definitely a lot of theories i
0: wonder if her or douglas took the fall for her in the fraud scheme that got him fired
5: that's really interesting i don't personally think so because douglas mentions like in helsinki you know he meets uh, the what's the name oh okay um milo the milo? The milo yeah yeah the uh ruth's husband no, Milo was the um, the customs guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. So in Helsinki, Douglas, you know, trades the fish cakes to Milo. So I think Douglas definitely has his own sort of schemes going on. So I think, I mean, maybe it's possible that Herc and Douglas kind of teamed up back in the day. I don't know. That's It's interesting. I personally don't think so, but it's very interesting. Let's move on.
0: So I know you you want to talk a little bit about Carl. Carl is
5: like my favorite, totally minor character on Cabin Pressure, just because every single one of his lines is just totally sassy. Explain who Carl is. Oh right, that would help. So mm-hmm. Carl is the, is um, the tower, is the guy in the tower at Fitten ATC, the air traffic control. He seems to be the only guy who works Fitten ATC because he's the only person at Fitton that we met Um, we we met a
0: few others like there's some ground crew people yeah
5: They, they wouldn't be up in the tower but he he seems to be the only guy who works in the tower itself like i don't know i for people who don't know me i used to work at the atlanta airport and so i know a lot of airport things and there's usually like hundreds of people Working ATC um, at any given time. Of course, like, my airport is humongous, but to only have Carl ever being on ATC just kind of amuses me. But anyway, I love Carl because he's a sassy bastard, as I like to call him. He is kind of a a part of the MJN family. I kind of see him as, like, like the the
0: third cousin.
5: (laughs) Yeah, like, the annoying third cousin that you only see at family reunions and always regret seeing. Um... (laughs) They, uh, like Douglas and Mar- Douglas seems to be kind of friends with Carl, probably just because he's also pretty sassy. And, you know, Martin's always like, you guys aren't, this isn't a chat line.
0: Huh. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. mind seeing, like, a Carl-centric episode. And it's yeah. just, and it it's, like, nothing it. bang, nothing, like, that's going to affect, like, the arcing plot. Or even it's, like, half an episode. Like, like, Carl has to be with them, and they're just all weirded out because Carl, you know, is never usually hanging out with them, except
5: for in, like, Lala La Park. I want an episode where somebody other than Carl works ATC, and, like, MJN is approaching Fitton, and, and, you know, they call them in and be like, yo, where can we land? And some stranger, like, you know, comes on the radio, and they're like, where's Carl? Where's Carl? And the guy's like, please, you know, the guy pulls a Martin and is like, please restrict, you know, radio to air traffic control, official messages or whatever. And they, like, freak out. I actually read this awesome zombie cabin pressure fic where Carl turns into a zombie. And I'm not going to spoil it, but it's... It's great.
0: It's a link. Anyway, Carl, he's great. I do want to mention, um, we, we got a new character this season. Her name's Teresa. She's the Princess of Liechtenstein. We got her in Vidoos. And we know... It is Vidoos, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's Vidoos. And we know that she and Martin have started a relationship. Um, when, when, uh, you know, find out that they have done the nasty, I really wanted to find a gift with Martin that said, congratulations on the sex. <laughs> <laughs> um... But and, and she's one of the reasons why he wants to go to Air Swiss, just so he can be with her. And I, I like Teresa, and I feel like she needs to be noted because I think she's going to come back and she's going to play a really important role in, in the next Coming episodes.
5: Um, I really like Teresa as well. She's a very, I mean, I don't want to like boil her down. She's a really strong female character, but she is. She's sassy, she's sarcastic, she's actually a little bit like Douglas, which I'm sure all the Douglas Martin shippers are simultaneously happy and not happy with. But she's great. She, you know, she likes Martin. She likes Martin for Martin. I think it's freaking hilarious that he takes her to the Mu- Duxford Air Museum and then he takes her to the Croydon Air Hall, whatever. Something like that she takes him to the Taj Mahal Um, that's just so beautiful it's a a beautiful detail
0: now the the one thing about Teresa is I I really like her a lot and I really want to see her come back but I don't see her being a long lasting relationship character only because of the fact that it because of her title and I think if she wasn't the princess of Liechtenstein yeah sure and then I I think she would be there longer but I don't see Martin potentially becoming like the duke or prince or whatever he would call him if he married her of of Lichtenstein. I mean, I, I just, I don't, I think there'd be too many social people standing in saying, you know, you can't marry this guy, or there'd be far too many, it, it just seems really far fetched that he would one day potentially become the Duke of Lichtenstein or whatever he would become.
5: I think that, I, I think that John Hunmore kind of pokes fun at that in the deuce when, when Teresa's giving him all those medals and Maxie's like, you can't do that, that's our highest honor. She's like, well, somebody's gonna have it. Like, I think the whole like royalty thing he tried to downplay that in produce and i think he did that for a reason i don't really have any specific personal feelings as to whether i want or don't want martin and Teresa to be a couple you know long term or get married or whatever yeah i don't have any personal feelings about Teresa. i like her but i think i sort of agree with you i but not for the reason that martin becoming royalty would be too weird i don't know
0: I think it would make like, really good conflict to see, you know, Martin with a broken heart. We we know that he's lonely and then he dated before, but we've yet to see broken hearted Martin. Don't bring that up. That
5: that's a terrible thought.
0: <laughs> but I mean, because like we we know that Martin helped Douglas out of through his divorce with Helena and like their breakup, and but we don't. I, I think it'd be nice to see it reverse. Like you know, Douglas Debbie, I'm saying you he helped me. Now I'm gonna help you.
5: Yeah, that's that would be a good kind of plot point for Mr. Finamore to explore. But I, I, kind of don't want to see Martin with a broken heart. Not because oh poor Martin, but things are starting to look up for him, and I would like that to apply to his personal life as well.
0: I might also be very biased that I, I've been kind of writing a secret like little role play with a with a friend of mine where Martin met a very nice bookshop keeper, and and she she doesn't you know she thinks he's swell and thinks he's the world. And I think that when he was installing a chandelier, like, a little chandelier in her bookshop, like, and it was a man with a van. Yeah, like, I, I think that, you know, and she's just, like, the sweetest little thing, and she's got kind of a little clumsy and a little awkward. She doesn't know a thing about planes or anything, but she does, you know, she'll read about it in her books just to try and, you know, learn about it for him. Um, is there any other characters that you feel like we should cover at all, or do you think we have a good... Or did you? is there anything else you want to throw in there about Teresa? Because I, I do think she is going to be playing a big role in the coming
1: episodes.
5: Yeah, I mean, there's we don't really know a lot about Teresa at this point. I've heard a lot of, I mean, pretty good, well-thought-out theories, but at this point they're really just theories. And, I mean, as a character, I think she's terrific, but who knows if we're going to see her later on like when we were introduced to Herc did I don't know if anybody else thought that he would become such an important part of you know Carolyn's life Um, because I really didn't think that he would get more than a another passing mention you
0: know who knows yeah, you know, Herc was in a, has been in a good, like, six or seven episodes.
5: Yeah, I'm trying to think, he was introduced in Newcastle, and then he kind I'm had- looking at the Wikipedia. He was introduced
0: in Newcastle, he was in Ottery St. Mary, mm-hmm. Rotterdam, then, he, he was, of course, the whole thing with you is I'm trying to get the sheep for Herc. Mm-hmm. He was in Vaduz. he, I think he was in, uh, yeah, he was in the Yvonne the Bomb. <laughs> Um, because he was flying with Douglas. Yeah,
5: so I mean, Hark has had I mean, he hasn't become a main character by any stretch of the imagination, but he's definitely, uh, you know, a pretty big part of the show at this point, especially when the show only has four main characters. I would, like, you know,
0: you mentioned that you wouldn't want him to really join in Jane Eyre because it wouldn't be good financially for him. I would like to see him fly more with them, though, as a backup pilot. Like, you know, if Douglas is away, like, I want to see
5: him with Martin by themselves. We haven't seen Oh, goodness. I don't... uh. That would, I, I just think that would be a total disaster for Martin because I think you could make a pretty good argument that Martin has kind of like a professional crush on Herc because you know Herc is he's a captain and he's a good pilot he's got it all at least in the professional realm not not concerning his per, his personal. Business. I think Martin would be kind of, I don't know. I, I could see Herc not deferring to Martin's captaincy, but I could also see him being you know, very generous towards Martin. I don't know how that would pan out. I, I know, I, I'm
0: seeing it, cause I'm wondering if some of, the, like, the fanboy has gone away, because, I mean, there's been a lot of time since Newcastle to the Y episode that a lot of time has passed, and he's probably met Herc more and got known better and has probably, like, talked with him some, and I kind of almost want to see Herc, like, try and make Martin like him better than he likes Douglas. Like, to make Martin like Herc better than Martin likes Douglas. And it becomes, like, this thing where, like, Douglas is like... Oh hell no, so he actually starts being nice to Martin,
5: he's just like, you're such a great captain! Because he doesn't want to lose, you know, to Herc. I think that is, like, maybe one of the most plausible, like, scenarios that could happen. And Uh, he might be like, I'm not a token, I'm not a treasure for you to be won. Like, some (laughs) almost feminine line where it's just like, I'm not something for you to win in a contest. Oh, goodness. I can just imagine Herc and Douglas having, like, some very well-thought-out game revolving around getting Martin's favor, and then Martin finding out about it, and be like, I was a part of one of your games? I thought better of you, Douglas. I heard something stupid like that. That'd
0: be so great. I, I, I think I would absolutely love that episode. And, and it's about, like, half the episode he's with Douglas, half the episode he's with her and it's happening. Or, like, even, I kind of like the idea of the three of them flying together. Like, I mean, you know, they probably don't have space in the cockpit, but they have to take this ridiculously long trip, and if they have to revolve around the three of them. So they're constantly in and out of... That pilot scene, while the other one's, you know, probably chilling with Arthur and Carolyn or doing whatever, but I think that'd just be a really fun episode.
5: Yeah, I totally agree. I sort of want to be like, hey, John Fenimore, you should write this episode, but I know, you know, he doesn't read that kind of stuff, but that would be an, like, I'm I'm just, like, thinking about it right now, and I'm just like, I really, really want this episode now. Like, that would be beautiful. It would be comedic gold, first of all. And then we have, you know, the awesome relationship between, you know, Martin and Douglas, and then you have that kind of weird relationship between Douglas and Herc, and Herc and Martin, and, ugh, that'd
1: be amazing.
0: I almost would want to see, you know, Martin stand up to Herc, you know? Like, because we see in Newcastle, he is a fanboy, and he's so nervous. But we haven't, I
5: don't think we've seen Martin with Herc since then, together. Not in a professional, sense, no. Uh, have
0: they been together? I don't talk about period. I'm sure they've talked to each other, but I don't know if they, like, you know, through the chat but have they actually
5: been in the same room together? Not besides Newcastle. I, I really, I can't remember if we've actually seen Martin with her. Not not besides Newcastle. Okay, they met, yeah, so I, mean, I would like to see them together again. And I agree, because it would be very interesting to see them in a professional sense, where her having to defer to Martin as the captain. The thing is, Herc is also a captain. I wonder if then if it would just go by experience, you know, like Herc
0: has more experience, so therefore he is in charge of that flight. Um, well, we know
5: that Herc isn't type-rated for Gertie, so he actually doesn't know how to fly Gertie, so, you know, he's kind of just sitting there looking pretty. I think it's interesting because in even on the Bomb Why episode, I always have, like, extreme anxiety when I say the name because I'm like, I know it's wrong.
0: Now I'm just purposely making it back, so I'm just like, I don't know how to say it, so it's just I don't to run <up on." laughs> but in, the,
5: in the last episode, when, you know, when Arthur eats the dragon fruit and he starts having an allergic reaction and Herc is like, oh goodness, remain calm, he's trying to take control of the situation and Douglas is like, oh, uh, not again. You know, and he just calls, you know, Carolyn in to give um, Arthur his EpiPen and, you know, Douglas knows what's going on and he has control of the situation, whereas Herc Herc thinks he has control of the situation, um, because I think that's just his personality as a captain, that seeing Herc as the captain and Martin as the captain, I don't know, because in, in, in regular airlines, there's plenty of more experienced pilots who were captains and are now first officers, not always for the reasons that Douglas is, and I expect not ever for reasons that Douglas is.
1: That's very uh, true. But,
5: you know, when, when pilots get older, you know, sometimes it's just better to have a an experienced but younger pilot there the captain, just because of, you know, reaction times and that kind of stuff. I don't know how that would work out. I can imagine John Finnemore coming up with some sort of, like, third title. Captains in the cockpit. Two captains in the cockpit. Captain captain in the cockpit. The cockpit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Chip goggles are now on.
5: <laughs> yeah. Oh,
0: goodness. Oh, lord. <laughs> how did you feel about this new season? I feel like this new season had a very different feeling than the other previous seasons. I can't put my finger on why. Like, I, I sort of felt like, you know, in the past one, It was more the adventure of the week Like there was like little plot points and plot arcs But this one I felt like had a definite plot arc Like we're starting here and we're going to build to here
5: Yeah Definitely. I think that, you know, in Timbuktu, we kind of get the um, foreshadowing when Mister when they fly to Mr. Burling out and he ends up not paying them. I think that was definitely foreshadowing to MJN potentially folding. I don't, I'm, I'm not going to say, oh, it will fold or it won't fold because I don't really know. But I think that season four was definitely working up to the last episode and the point where Martin has to make a decision whether or not to leave MJN, thereby, thereby putting MJN out of business. Every episode in season four has some sort of plot point that contributes to the complication of Martin accepting or denying this job, you know. In Timbuk 2, we have kind of the introduction. And then we have a Skirty, which you know Martin is kind of. Martin is just horrific. It's like he's not horrific in the entire. So like he just gets his ass handed to him. Yeah, he he gets kind of kicked around, and then let's see what came after and then we a have the where you know we yeah, had teresa love interest right and martin has now has something else to consider when you know he has to choose a job before it was just him, and when you're single and you don't have any other people to be responsible for or to keep stay around for things are very different and then we have a wokingham which shows that martin's being a pilot and his family you know they're not
0: compatible I, 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 I kind of felt more like he finally got, maybe not from his brother and his sister, because they're a little bit estranged from him, but I got the sense that, you know, his, his dad passed away, like, a long time ago. His father never got to see him be a pilot. And so I think he finally got the approval when it came from his mom that he needed to keep going forward in this
1: career.
5: I think that's true, but I don't think he has kind of shaken the feeling that he doesn't feel like a real pilot, and I'm hesitant to say that because I think Martin's very proud of Obviously, of what he does, and he loves his family. But I do, I do really feel like there is a part of him that wants bigger and better things, despite everything else. And so I felt like in Wokingham, we were really exposed to that idea that Martin is a real pilot. And he's, you know, he's doing really well for himself, but there's that kind of, you know, lingering parental disappointment, like, oh, why aren't you at a big, you know, airline like Air England? And that's not explicitly said in Wokingham at all. It's just kind of the parental trope kind of feeling that I got from that episode.
0: Next is the X episode, which I can't say either. Jin Zhao? Xin Zhao?
5: Xin Zhao?
0: It's in (laughs) (laughs) China. I, I don't know how to say it. That episode wasn't too much... I mean, I that episode kind of surprised me, if I can throw in my two cents first, only because, like, I always, and Jumpin' More was saying on his blog, it's really hard to write episodes where they don't do anything, and I was sort of feeling like almost it was the last hurrah, like, this was the last, and I was actually getting really scared at the season, at the end of the season, that this was going to be the last season, you know, it, it felt like we were leading to that, you know, he, Martin has a love interest, you know, Douglas is, and, like, Carolyn has a love interest, she's kind of going that way with her, and, and like Douglas and Arthur had that one scene where they were in the, the airport, the empty airport with the, the manager guy. And it kind of felt like they were, you know, showing that they were okay with everything. And that's where Jin Zhao kind of really scared me a lot because it felt like this was their last big hurrah just the four of them by themselves. Yeah, that's a really good
5: point. See, I've always been kind of reserved but optimistic that this wouldn't be the last series. I didn't want to assume that it wouldn't be and then be disappointed. But at the same time, I feel... I guess I felt I had I had a lot of people come to me and be like, oh, the alphabet's over. This must be the end. And I was like, that's not really a good reason to think that this series is ending with um, series four. I was uh, joking around with Allison that we'll go into the Greek
0: alphabet and they'll have six episodes where they're just running around in Greece.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind that at all. You know the whole thing where oh is the series going to end because the alphabet's ending and I kind of got a little annoyed with that to be very honest with you. And so I'm like you know what nope it's not ending not 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 going to end. So I wasn't su- you know I wasn't super anxious about it. But Shingao is it is the Fitten and the Limerick Fitten Limerick. Um, to some extent, Koala but not really. These are, the, you know, the episodes where we really dig into just the just the crew. You know, there's not a lot of crazy stuff happening. It really just is about them talking to one another. And I'm gonna be honest, this was not one of my favorite episodes you know it's probably the only
0: episode of the season that i've listened to twice only because the first time it's kind of like midnight in doctor who for me like the first time i watched i'm like i'm waiting for it i'm waiting for the plot i'm waiting for the plot what's going on and then it ends and i'm just like there was a plot and then i had to go back and listen to it and i was like no this is a more character episode there's a lot more going on under the surface than the initial listen yeah i mean
5: and that's definitely true for any of the episodes and like I will freely admit that I I ha- I don't even feel like I know these episode the series four episodes very well just because I've listened to the rest of the series about 20 times a piece that's probably partially it and I don't even remember what we were originally talking about with Simjao. It was leading up to maybe...
0: I was fearing that it was the end of season, the end of the series. Not sure about it. It just has it, you know, that... And then we were leading up to the Y episode. Because we were talking about the Series 4 as a whole actually having a plot arc. I mean, Shinjiao, not...
5: I mean, it's true. Not, not a lot happens. I mean...
0: And we get a new game.
5: We do get a new game. And...
0: the so One thing I- about Captain Pressure is they introduce new games to us all the time. And I'm totally kicking my nanny kid at, at like, kicking his ass at Yellow Car.
5: Yeah, I'm, I, like, I was really excited for Series for, um, just because I knew we would get new jokes and new games and, you know, new little things that we could hinge upon, because, you know, the Camp fan fandom, we've been dealing a lot with lemons and polar bears for a very long time, um, and it was nice to get some new material in. Megan. Yes. Megan.
0: Yes. Megan. What? Megan. Yes. We're talking about Xin Zhao and new games, and I'm saying your name. Megan.
5: No, I'm not playing <laughs> your game.
0: <laughs> Megan. Finn. <laughs> have a banana, banana.
5: <laughs> I haven't had anyone playing with me, so indulge me. It's <laughs> like the
0: one game I've been really wanting to play is Fizz Buzz Have a Banana.
5: You know, I've actually tried to play Martin's version of FizzBuzz with like the multiple of three, multiple of five thing. It's hard. It's
0: really hard because that's the game we played, like when they, the moment they started talking about Fizz Buzz. Like we played that in theater. I totally
5: remember playing that in theater it does like they're they're actually a lot harder i think it's in newcastle um they're playing monopoly and there's at one point arthur says that's not fun that's math and that's how i felt about his buzz i was like that's not fun that's
0: like the, the last episode of season four is the why episode that we cannot pronounce and i i think it, everything was building up to that episode like we we had Herc and i felt like douglas was kind of like you know in the past where season three kind of felt like douglas's season because it was the season he kind of got owned and felt like this was martin's season and i don't know if carolyn and uh, uh arthur have had their own kind of overarching seasons maybe season two a little bit for carolyn Because we have Helsinki, and we found out about her sister, and we sort of end up with... I feel like Carolyn wins a lot more in season two.
5: Yeah, I think season two is definitely Carolyn and Arthur's season. I mean, you have Helsinki, which is, you know, very Carolyn-centric. And then you have If Switch, which doesn't really seem to be carolyn or arthur centric but you know the ending kind of hinges upon arthur arthur's role in MJ and air and then of course you have kuala lumpur which half the episode is devoted to arthur trying to be a better steward and carolyn giving up on him um <laughs> but arthur really shows that he can adapt to situations even though it's not the normal way to do it i think saint petersburg was a you know, big Arthur moment as well. Yeah, and Ever Don Le Bon. Eve Lebon. Eva Gon. Everdon Le Bon. Yeah. I mean I've heard the I have heard it as a complaint that season four was all about Martin. But if we think about it, the rest of the seasons haven't really focused on Martin. Most most of the episodes are kind of in favor of Douglas, because um, Douglas is getting the upper hand all the time. You no, know, Martin's always losing. Douglas is always winning.
0: I don't know. I have to say it was really nice to have Martin winning for once.
5: I know it's great. I mean, it's because I mean I'm always rooting for Martin. He is sort of slightly pathetic, but in kind of in a way that makes you love him. Martin, he deserves. He's a good guy. I mean, he's really prissy at the beginning and really bossy. He's a dick in the beginning. He really really is a dick. He's a flat-out dick in the beginning. (laughs) Um, And, I mean, obviously you see right through that immediately. You know that he's just, like, really prissy and uppity and just kind of horrible. But you you know that that's him just trying to be confident where he's not competent. As the series progresses, his you know his confidence doesn't really go down. It's his ego that goes down, but his competence goes up, and so he becomes a more less. Dickish character. So to have season four be Martin-centric, I think, is pretty important because he has been the under- underdog. I mean, Carolyn, you can make an argument for Carolyn being the underdog a little bit, but it's it's good to see Martin come out on top. For one, winning a game. Has he ever won a game before? Yes, he, he has. Because evil-sounding names that aren't actually evil. Sorry, I'm rambling. What episode was that, Lamar? Uh, Lamar?
0: And I think he, he, uh, he won the one where it was all the dwarves. That's how the episode ended.
5: Oh yeah, that's true.
0: Well, he won over Carolyn. Mar- Douglas won over it initially, but, he won- but- I, I do feel like you know this this season did have a completely different feel, and maybe because it was you know a little bit more Martin centric. Like I, like I like I said, season three is is a little bit more to me Douglas centric. I think we see a lot of change in Douglas's character. I think he I think he's a lot more humble in... At the end of season three and all through season four you know he's not as he's not the old douglas that we had in season one and season two too, and i think that's because of everything that happened in season three
5: yeah and i'm inclined to think that it really isn't douglas himself that's changed it's douglas's interactions with the crew that have changed because i think if you were to throw him into another similar situation he would revert back to old Douglas, but he's changed the way he treats um, the people around him um, as of now. Especially. I
0: wonder if that is because of his divorce, you know, because they really are all
5: that he has left. I, I think you're probably right. And uh, I think as with all the characters, they, I mean, they've all, except for Arthur, who's always been, thinks everything's brilliant. They've all they've all grown um, towards each other as the series goes on. Whether Douglas's failed third marriage sort of accelerated that i think that's probably correct he's he's i have a lot of douglas thoughts he's just he's he's almost more pathetic than martin and i don't like using the word pathetic because it sounds like but he he's a more piti- pitiable if that's even a word character than martin by the end of this series you know martin's on the up and up douglas is he's Gonna be out of a job if MJN ends And he's recently divorced And what else is there for him? That's a very good point
0: <laughs> Well, uh, one thing I did ask you for, before this Is I, I usually ask, you know, like What are people's favorite episodes or moments And you you I was surprised I've actually never done this before in a podcast You sent me very specific moments But what you did is that you sent them to me And told me why you liked them So uh, we're gonna go through these And I want you to then tell me why you like these moments So first we have dues. Oh, I
6: don't know, just to see if I can.
0: <laughs> All
6: right, everyone, hang on, we're going in. I have control. What? I have control, I have control, control, I have it. Martin, you gave me this sector, and I'm well within my limits. No, I
3: know, I'm sorry, but we can't be too careful.
6: Too careful? I have control. How do you mean, too careful? Douglas, I have control. You have control.
0: And then the other one from the segment that you sent me it was from Saint Petersburg, and so I made this one just a touch longer, just so people have a little bit more context about.
3: Paris, Caris, Paris, <laughs> Paris. Oh, oh, how about Peterborough? T-
6: uh, engine fire on uh. the two engines. Oh, God. Um, engine fire checklist. Number two engine. Engine fire checklist. Number two engine, Captain. Number two thrust lever? Yes. Close. Number two fuel control switch? Yes, yes. Number two fuel control switch to cut off. Number two fire handle check? Yes. Number two fire handle pull. Number one extinguisher fired. Stopwatch started. Fire bell cancelled. <coughs>
3: Mayday, Mayday, Golf, Echo, Romeo, Tango, India Suspected bird strike, we have one engine on fire Request immediate return and priority landing, St. Petersburg
6: Golf, Tango, India, Roger, you're Mayday Continuous cleared contact, pull cover approach, 124.2 2.
3: Roger, 124.2 2.
6: Good luck Fire is out, Captain, 124.2 2 is selected Martin, do you want me to land it? No, I'll do it Okay What do you like about these two separate scenes
5: going on? The reason I picked those two scenes together is because we have, you know, slightly similar situations. In Dew's... the hydraulic system fails and they need to make a landing without the hydraulic system which would be tricky um, it's not impossible but you know it is an issue. The better pilot should handle it. In dues, Douglas is assigned to this landing. It's a little bit of a different um, situation than St. Petersburg where it was an emergency landing but Martin despite knowing rationally that Douglas should have landed them without the hydraulic system because he is the better pilot. He takes probate because he feels as the captain, it's you know his his duty or his right, even though he knows that Douglas could land it better than he could. We also have Douglas's reaction to this in Dues, where he is absolutely infuriated with Martin for taking the landing off him. And then you know in St. Petersburg, we have. This emergency and, you know, the bird strike and the engine is on fire. You know, this is an extremely serious problem. This isn't like the hydraulic system failing. This is is like life or death we have martin panicking and martin is you know panicked in both episodes in dues and in saint petersburg but we have two very different reactions martin and dues is sort of um we're gonna do it by the book uh, because that's what the book says i'm the captain even though you know i might not be able to land this you know very well um which he doesn't by the way you know i want to do it because i'm the captain in saint petersburg we have martin landing it um, because he feels confident and he we have douglas allowing Martin to do that without Absolute, with, like, no argument whatsoever, despite this being such a, a life-or-death situation.
0: Yeah, you you wrote in the email to me, perceived versus acquired competence, and I, I completely agree. Like, the, Douglas in those situations, I, I was actually very... I, I love that moment, too. That's one of my top favorite moments because of the fact that Douglas sounds very calm. Like, he's very trusting of Martin in that one situation.
5: Yeah, he knows that Martin can do it. Would Douglas have put up a fight if... didn't think martin could do it i don't know um because i I think he would have flat out taken control if himself
0: because they were probably going to die
5: right and martin panicking we know that martin is a very panicky person and i think if douglas would have seen that martin was so way too panicked to properly respond he would have taken control but in dues martin thinks he has the competence to do it douglas knows that martin doesn't in st petersburg martin knows and douglas knows that martin has the competence to land the plane you know this is just a very telling scene of both of their character development martin obviously, has become a better pilot.
0: Um, and he has, says that in the Y episode, you know, I've, I started at a 1, and now I'm at a 4, and I'm going to keep getting better.
5: Yeah, and, I, you know, I really have no doubt about that. You know, we really, really do see that from Series 1 all the way through Series 4. Uh, Martin's getting better. Douglas isn't so stuck up that he can't see that either. Two of my favorite moments, definitely when you put them together, are very interesting
0: second thing that you chose as one of your favourite scenes is from Fitton. And, oh, yeah, this is Arthur's Hidden Winston, so we'll take a listen.
6: Well, no-one's truly happy. I'm truly happy. Oh, God. <laughs> no, Arthur, you are cheery. No-one's interested in the secret of true cheeriness.
2: <laughs> no, that's not true. I'm fairly often just completely happy. Like, for instance, when you get into a bath quickly and it's just the right temperature, and you go, oh. I mean, no one really gets any happier than that.
3: What a depressing thought. No,
2: no, it's not, though. Because those sort of things happen all the time. Whereas you're hardly ever, you know, blissfully happy with the love of your life in the moonlight. And when you are, you're too busy worrying about it being over soon. Whereas the bath moments, there's loads of those.
5: There's a couple things I like about Arthur's little speech here. First of all, I think it's one of the first moments we get the sense of Arthur being... He has a very certain wisdom about him. Both Martin and Douglas and the audience... We see that he makes a lot of mistakes, and, you know, he, he doesn't know some of the things that, you know, we know, but he has a very, you know, mature wisdom about him at times. You know, I always love seeing that about Arthur. It, you know, it adds a new dimension to this character. Also, this is interesting because this little, you know, snippet here comes right after Martin and Douglas are talking about Helena. This is bef- this is while Helena and Douglas are still together. Arthur mentions that, you know, you're oh, you know blissfully happy with the love of your life and moonlight at this point we're not I don't think Douglas has ever thought that it would end with Helena I mean maybe he's considerate he's had two fun marriages but you know he's still kind of in the honeymoon phase and, and then you know later in Limerick we learn that they're no long to, longer together I sort of think you know when Arthur makes his comparison to the bathtub moments I think them being together at MJN are very much bathtub moments
0: that's you very know, true I, I actually never thought of it that way but that, that's, they very rarely win overall <laughs>
5: Yeah, I mean, they're just little simple moments that, you know, make them happy. You know, obviously there's lots of, there's tons of conflict in cabin pressure, you know, between the characters, but it's very, very rarely serious conflicts. On the flip side, there's very, very rarely ever really humongous hooray, you know, everything's great peachy moment. The only moment I can think of is at the end of St. Petersburg when they get the engine fixed, you know, for free and they prevent Gordon from stealing the plane. So, you know, I really feel like most of the series is just little snippets of silliness and happiness for the crew. And so I really, really love Arthur's speech.
0: And I, I really like this take too. I'm I'm a very firm believer that it's the little things in life that make big things happen. One of my my very personal goals, you know, as hope, this is my goal in life, is to try and make three people smile all day, whether it's a friend, a family, or a stranger. And, and that's just something that I just has always been a goal of mine because I, I I really am a strong belief that those little happinesses build up to make overall greater happiness. Because I mean, I don't think these characters, I don't think we would have the ending in the Your blah, blah, blah bonds episode, but we wouldn't have. Have Martin struggling to make this choice if it wasn't a series of little happinesses? Because if he had focused on the big victories, which is really just St. Petersburg, and I think getting Mr. Aliakin is a little bit of a victory because that is a big fire that is constantly coming back and helping them um, stay afloat. I mean, the big victories are few and far in between, and I'm I'm a very firm believer that you have to work for happiness. It's it's not going to fall on your lap. It, it, I think that's fuck, what am I saying? God damn it! Um, <laughs> fuck me. I have a sore, I can't, I'm recording all these shows with like no swearing and I'm known for my dirty shows, ah, fuck. <laughs> this is like the total opposite. Uh-uh, what was I saying? But I, I feel like you are very much correct in this, that we and that we wouldn't have the impact and it wouldn't be the series that it would be. And I, I think it's also very telling to life. I, I, I think that it is the little t- happinesses that make up life. Because I feel like the people who are waiting for the big victories are actually more sadder or more sadder, are are, are much sadder people than people who just celebrate the little things.
5: Well, and and as Arthur says, those big things, they happen, and then what? Then they're gone. You know, they're sort of fleeting. Whereas, you know, the whole bad moments thing, you know, it happens over and over and over. There's no big lead-up to it. It doesn't, you know, have the fanfare. But, you know, now that we see that Martin might get another job. This is a big victory for him, but does he sacrifice all these little things for somewhere he might be successful but unhappy?
0: And I see that a lot. Like sometimes, you know, a lot of a lot of times in life, people with money are very unhappy. You know, my mother grew up very poor, but she told me, you know, they were always happy. They were rich in happiness, even though they had nothing. And then you always see like these like really famous people and like you know terribly depressed and sad. And like money is not the root to everything. And I think this is a very subtle. Way that John Finnemore is slipping in that happiness is not about wealth. Like oh, it's like it's like the Weasleys in Harry Potter. You know, they're very rich, but not in the way that
5: you think. Even look at Douglas's character. Douglas, we presume, comes from a well-off family. You know, had a good childhood, um, probably pretty crazy. You know, young adulthood, but you know, where is he now?
0: I don't mean, know. I mean, look at uh, Arthur. I mean, he's
5: he's happy as work. I kind of want to see a love interest for Arthur. You know, I I but, find that little snippet about the, um, the, like, horse club girls with Alice Benz and stupid names or whatever. That, uh, what uh, whatever, pony club. I love that little, that's just a stupid little detail, but I absolutely love it, and, um, I,
0: I, but, I, but at the same time, like, when Mr. Burling was like, are you still with that girl anymore? I thought you'd break up. with It kind of took me off guard, because I actually never thought about Arthur ever dating. You know You don't? No, I, I, I actually, he was coming off like a little, I don't want to say asexual, but like, just just didn't. He's seem, a child. Yeah, like he didn't seem. He, yeah, that's a very be- much better way to put it. Like he just didn't seem interested in dating. So when Mr. Burling was like, "Are you still with that girl?" and I was like, "Arthur dates." And then it hit me. I was like, "What if Arthur has had sex?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, I, like, it was just like an, like a weird reaction. Like I, I cannot see Arthur having sex. Like, no. I can't. Now I can see him being a father figure. I think he'd make a great dad. Yeah, like, I think he would, I think if he ever was a father... My brain finished the
5: sentence. I think he'll make a great dad in the Force Gump sort of way. <laughs> no, but exactly. I think he would raise somebody else's children really well. I just don't see him having kids of his own. I, I, that thought terrifies me actually. Yeah, what a bombshell
0: would it be if there's an episode and opens and Arthur's actually worried, and they're all worried because Arthur's worried, and you find out that he, like he has like some ex girlfriend that's pregnant. Like what a what a weird turn of events that would be, because I, I just see if all of them just, you know, having different, very different reactions.
5: Well, it's a, it's a very adult situation with a very not adult, despite the fact that Arthur's 30. It, it would be very weird. I don't think it would ever canonically happen, That's it's like a very interesting situation to think about. You had um, another
0: fitting moment that you liked a lot. Today,
6: someone I'm maybe, sorry to interrupt, Carolyn, but you're not listening. I am fit to fly. You're not. You've been drinking. No, I haven't. I don't drink. Yes, you do. No, I don't. You do. I've seen you hundreds of times. No, you think you have, but you haven't. Uh, I have. You've been drinking tonight. The thing about not being able to tell vodka from water is it cuts both ways.
3: So you're sober.
6: Very sober. Eight years for me, too.
5: You
3: can
6: fly. I can fly. I can fly, too.
3: I
2: can bloody well fly as well as any
6: fly.
5: Really, really 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 love that moment because first of all we have Douglas admitting something to the crew that he would not have otherwise admitted to them you know would he have ever told them that he doesn't actually drink unless they were in some sort of situation like this where they needed him you know to be sober and, and nobody else was um and you know he's implicitly revealing that he's an alcoholic or he was an alcoholic which is a very deeply personal you know thing for Douglas who plays everything very close to the vest who that Very telling of character development. Fitten is really the first episode where we see them all sort of get along non committally. Non noncom is that a word? Um. <laughs>
0: no, but it's it's you're you're William Shakespeare, you make up words.
5: Yeah, of course. <laughs> Shakespeare that bitch. <laughs> But this is a vulnerable mo- moment for Douglas and he, it's also a selfless moment for Douglas because he could have, he really could have pretended that he was drunk and that they couldn't fly if he really didn't feel comfortable revealing that he, you know, doesn't drink. He just pretends to drink because that's the kind of, you know, culture that he and his friends live in and he has to put up a pretense for that. You it's-
0: know what want about Douglas? Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with not drinking. Like, cause I mean, I, I'm, I'm personally not a big drinker myself but I, I'll still go to parties where all my friends are drinking, you know, really heavily. You know, I, I, I don't know why that that has to be such a big deal with him, just be like, no, I don't want to drink. Unless it just makes it easier to still Talisker, and instead of, I, it's a better mode of saying, like, oh, I want to it because I can drink it, opposed to, oh, I just want to still this the piss off
5: Carolyn. <laughs> I think it's more of the like, the culture that he grew up in, being, you know, kind of like an old boy sort of thing, or at least that's how I think of Dr. A history. I think he was probably quite you know, if he was an alcoholic, obviously he was a heavy drinker. I think it was very much a social thing for him when he was younger and I you know, he probably is still friends with people from that part of his life he I don't think Douglas is close enough to those people to admit that he doesn't drink anymore so I think that's why he kind of puts up the pretense and for him to um, reveal to Martin and Carolyn and Arthur that he doesn't really drink anymore it was a very big step for him in terms of in terms of friendship
0: I can see that. Yeah, that's, that's a, a very valid point. Because that was always one thing that I always wondered. I was just like, why not just admit it? I mean, this, it's not a, maybe it's just because it's not a big deal to me. So I didn't see why it was such a big deal to him, but I, I I can see that now. All right, next we have... Sorry, I keep going between tabs and stuff. I keep losing my spot. Fine. Uh, oh, fine. <laughs> oh, we have the episode that we can't say. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> Eva
5: don't I'm just—I have this theory that if I keep saying it, I'll say it right eventually. Eva don't
0: I'm not even trying. This is, like, like when we had that one tea party, and, like, I kept forgetting the name of the charity we were donating all, all of our uh, money to. Uh, what was it called? It was a raffle. We were having a raffle. And I couldn't remember the name of this one charity. And it was, like, Bennett Cumberbatch's, like, main, like, kids' cancer charity. And I think I just started calling it, um, Bennett Cumberbatch really hates a cancer kids, <laughs> or just, like, have cancer charity. Because I just could not remember And Cara and Jackie just kept looking at me. I'm like, I'm sorry, I have no idea what I'm talking about. All right, so, uh, here is your next favorite
1: part. It's a little clip from uh, Profound,
3: Profound Bond. I don't think so. You want to hear one you've never heard before? I'll tell you one that I guarantee you have never heard before.
1: Quickly, then.
3: My biggest weakness as a pilot is that I'm not very good at flying airplanes.
2: Well, you're right about us not having heard it before.
3: I mean, I'm good enough. Like The Sims said, I'm adequate adequate to the task but i i don't do it easily it's not second nature to me on your scale of one to ten if one is the bare minimum competence i'm about a four and i used to be a one no i (laughs) i used to be a zero and then i took my cpl again and then again and then i was a one and then a two and then a three and now a four and i'm not finished yet And that's why you should employ me. That's why you'd be lucky to employ me. Because if you're not naturally good, if you can't rely on just knowing how to do it like Doug, uh, like some people can, then you have to, well, you have to be a perfectionist, actually. And I am one. And that's why even when you've turned me down, I'm going to keep on applying. Because flying is the perfect job. And I won't settle for a life where I don't get to do it.
0: I, I love this moment, too. It, I, at, like, while listening to this episode the first time, I just remember just, like, kind of going quiet and after that moment just being like, damn, that was, uh How can you not love that
5: little speech? I mean, it's just beautiful. It's... It, it, to me, it's kind of equivalent to Carolyn's very short but equally powerful little speech in St. Petersburg when um, she tells Gordon to get off my jet now. And there's just so much power in those words. Um, I think Martin's little speech here was equally powerful. We have him for the very first time, and we have to realize this is the 25th episode. This is the first time he has ever admitted he isn't a very good pilot. And,
0: and, and it really like shows the contrast of this character. We keep saying, like, you know, in season one, he's a dick that's because he's playing that he's a good pilot. He's playing that he's the best, and he's playing that he's confident. And it's really telling you if you listen to episode 1 and then just A to Y, not A to Z, but A to Y, you know, it's
5: it's worlds different. Before season 4 came out, I would often listen to Abu Dhabi and St. Petersburg back-to-back, Um, just because they're absolutely different worlds um, entirely. Obviously, Martin, he becomes more comfortable with Douglas as the series goes on, and we often have him asking, Douglas, do you know how to fix this? You know, Douglas, you need how 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 do we get out of this? For him to actually put out there, I'm not a very good pilot, but I'm getting better. is is an absolutely incredible moment for Martin. I, I'm only a little disappointed that he doesn't get to say that in front of Douglas and Carolyn and Arthur. But I think that is probably for the best because I think Martin sort of needed to admit it to himself rather than you know feeling like that would be you know material for Douglas to hang on to because you know Douglas already knows that Martin isn't a very good pilot. He's poked fun of him for that. So for Martin to really come out and say it is pretty pretty powerful.
0: I love also this the fact that it's the first time we really see Martin as a, fire, as a fighter. And, like, and, and because we, we know that he's tenacious. Like, we know that he's, a, or not tenacious, tenacious. We know that he's been at this for a while. And we know that he's been a fighter. And he is, uh, but it, it really actually comes out and he says it. I, I'm so happy that at least he's aware of it as well. Because a lot of times, you know, characters don't realize that they're doing things. And, and they're not very aware of it. I, I'm happy to know that he is, just, just to hear those words, like, this is my job, this is what I was made and born to do. I might not be good at it, but this is my life. I will do it no matter what. I mean, that's something I like. I can really hold on to and invest through. It. And I, I can relate to as well. I mean, hell, I'm a freelance writer. It's <laughs> it's not easy. I mean, it's just, I, I think I've related more to Martin in this one moment than I have in the entirety of Cabin Pressure.
5: It's such a great moment. I really, I have, like, very few coherent thoughts to apply to it, just because it's so great. Let's go to
0: this one. <laughs> like, we're
5: uh, Before I just go rambling on about it because it's so good.
0: All right, and so the last two clips I'm going to play. I'm going to play the first one, and I'll play the second one. And the first one's from Newcastle, so you will get to hear a little bit of Tom Goodman Hill playing Martin. And I, I, we both said, we both liked him in that episode. So, And I just to say, like, fandom, I'm sorry, this is a tangent, but, like, he had really big shoes to fill. I mean, and but he does so well matching Martin's speech patterns. Like, he does the, you know, he pauses when he needs to. He stutters when he needs to. I think he did a really good job stepping into these shoes.
5: I honestly can't imagine anybody doing substitute voice work any better than Tom Goodman Hill did with Martin on such short notice.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, he, he sounds... When I'm talking about, like, tone and speech and, like, speaking speeds and stuff like that, he's just matches it so well. All right, well, here's the clip from Newcastle.
6: Tell me you've written a slim volume of verse. <laughs> oh, a CV. Um, goodness, feeling the call of the Highlands, are we? Fancy ourselves in tartan epaulets and a flying kilt? <laughs>
2: There's nothing wrong with trying to advance one's career.
6: Not at all. So what's the plan? Fly them to Newcastle with such panache and élan that the captain feels compelled to recommend you to their chief McPilot? (laughs) I know it's a long shot, but if the captain and I should happen to hit it off, you never know. You never do. What flight time do you have from Fitton to Newcastle? 25 minutes. Hmm. Let's hope he's the sort who makes friends quickly.
0: And then we play the second one,
3: which, second clip, which is for la 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 Oh! They offered me the job right there and then. I, I could start in three months. Wow, Skip! That's absolutely, you know, just what you wanted. Just, just what I wanted, yes. Yeah, exactly. It's brilliant. But it's, it's not brilliant for anyone else, is it? Oh, don't say that, Skip. The Swiss guys will get used to you. <laughs> Yes, thank you, Arthur. I didn't mean them. I meant you, MJN. Oh, we'll be all right.
2: We'll find stuff to do. I was thinking I could be a hotel guy. You know, the ones with those huge
3: bird cages for suitcases? I love those things.
1: <laughs> well, I, I,
3: I, I, I could just turn it down and... What do I need £22,000 a year for? Well, loads of stuff. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, Arthur, I know. Well, look be honest with you, Skip, I I wouldn't worry about it. Once Mum hears you've got an offer, you you won't really have a choice. She'll make sure you go. Yes,
3: but I I, I might have been joking. What? I I might have been joking about about getting an offer. Oh, right. (laughs) I don't get it. (laughs) Were you joking? I don't know. Ah, they're in here.
6: Uh, Hi, Carolyn Douglas. Well? Hi, Herc. Never mind that. How did it go?
1: (laughs)
3: I, I, I was just telling Arthur about it. Yeah, I didn't completely understand. Well then, tell us, did you get in? They're going to let me know.
0: Ugh.
5: <gasps> ah! I think I remember screaming at my computer, just like, ah! I was just, I, I when the music, the ending music came on, I was like, oh, What? What? And then okay. I was
0: like, oh, there'll be
5: one next week. And then I realized,
0: shit, it's the sixth episode of the season. There is no next week.
5: You know what was so funny was because um, on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, or, or, like, on Tuesday night, there was, like, a bunch of posts in the counter-pressure tag, like, I can't wait for the Zurich episode this week. I'm like, first of all, there ain't no Zurich episode. Second of all, there is no episode. <laughs> Sorry, that you can cut that part out. Oh no, <laughs> hell no! Only here
0: you get sassy on my show. Uh, uh, we are going we get our hair did and our nails did, and we're going
5: with some pad pressure. Okay, so I really love those two clips together because in the first one, obviously Martin is so ready to get out of MJN. He is like, I will do anything, you know, to get another job, even if it's just Air Caledonia, the wee Scottish airline, and you know Douglas. Sort of tries to stop him. He, he doesn't really explicitly go, well, don't apply for Cal Air. But he puts doubt in Martin's mind about it. And then, you know, when Martin goes to apply for Swiss Air, he's excited about the prospect of getting the job. But once he actually gets it, he's, you know, he's hesitant. And the rest of the crew is totally supportive of him going to swiss air and getting the job and leaving mjn even though that sort of spells doom for all of them so it, you see such a change between martin in newcastle and martin in evadon lebar right right um
1: that was <laughs>
5: Even even though these episodes aren't that far apart, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine episodes, which, you know, Newcastle is in the middle of season three. No, not much time has passed, so a lot's changed.
0: Nothing breaks my heart more than Arthur trying to still sound so happy, and he goes, that's, that's exactly what you wanted, Skip. And, but he, there's like an underlining tone of sadness that's very rare for Arthur.
5: Yes, there's so much pain in Arthur's voice because he wants to be happy for Martin. Obviously, because anything that makes Martin happy would make Arthur happy, but that would mean saying goodbye to Martin, and that doesn't make Arthur happy. I
1: just, I
0: have a feeling if, um, you know, if if if, if Martin does end up going to air, he's gonna come home one day to check on his mom, and Arthur's still playing board games.
1: Yeah. I love
5: I love that um in Wokingham where you know Arthur becomes like a part of Martin's family. As weird as that sounds because Martin's mom is pretty cool, but his brother and his sister not so much for Arthur to kind of just slip himself into the Crewe family. You know, we we all I think as an audience we have pretty much a, a good handle on Arthur's character. I didn't get a chance to uh,
0: pull up any of my favorite moments in clips. No. I know. I, I was looking. You for know them. what they are. Just tell me what they are, and we can talk about them. I, I love everything about Ottery Saint Mary. It's, it's, I, I like the fact that they're outside and they're away from, they're away from Gertie for once. And, it's you know, we have Hurricane Carolyn on their date with Snooperdoo, the cockapoo. I mean, just, it's, it's a very different feeling episode because they're flying, but they still have a lot of tropes. They're, it's like they're flying, like when they're getting in the van and they're doing the checklist of everything that was happening that, that, that they would normally do in a plane.
6: All right. Are we ready to go? Yes. Yep. Jolly good. Pre-driving to Devon checklist. Captain, doors? Closed. Seatbelts? On. Piano? Checked. Piano? Cross-checked. Jelly babies? Mm. Ah. Jelly babies to manual. (laughs) Excellent. Then off we go.
5: Yeah, I agree. Audrey and St. Mary isn't one of my favorites. Just because, first of all... (laughs) You think that the whole episode, that, you know, their whole calamity with the keys being locked in the van and they're having to fly and then push the piano, you think that's all Arthur's fault. But it's actually Douglas' fault, because um, he's the one who left the keys inside the piano. It's also pretty unexpected or in my opinion, for Douglas to volunteer to help um, Martin move the piano without at least to, you know, the audience, we haven't seen him try and, like, gain back the favor that he, you know, that Martin supposedly owes him. I'm wondering
0: if he's feeling a little bit of guilt from Newcastle, because, you know, he did put that doubt in Martin's head, and this is the episode right after it, so I wonder if he is starting to feel a little bit of from that, I mean, I, I feel, and then before that we have the Paris episode where... Martin loses once again at Burling Day, and then before that, we have Hugh Tarjuac where, um, you know, he was called not being, Douglas was called not professional and, and stuff. So I think we're seeing a big change in Douglas in the, the three episodes previous to this.
5: Also, in K.K. that you know, when it's revealed to both the audience and to Douglas, if I'm not mistaken, that Martin doesn't get paid Oh
0: yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, that's a very good point because then it would make sense that he would, you know, really want to step up in his other job.
5: Now, I'm, I'm, I might actually might be mistaken because was it not was there not a point where Douglas and Martin make a bet um, for you know three times you know two two times his salary or something like that? There's a I know there's a point. Martin and Douglas make a bet on a game. If Martin wins or if Martin loses, he uh, Douglas takes two months of salary, or it has to be after Limerick, because they bet on Martin being able to use the story. Of Douglas it, pretending that he is the captain it's good, it's to Helena, and Martin loses. And Megan, it's, it's a good
0: dance? dance.
5: Okay, where?
0: Yeah, it's a good. dance.
5: So he does find out before that that.
0: Yeah, I, I was surprised. I didn't realize it was that like early on. I thought it was much later.
5: Okay, so I take all that back. So you can. <laughs> You can delete all that. Okay, shit, what were we even saying? I don't know. <laughs> okay, we're this talking about...
0: high quality podcast. We're talking about
5: Audrey St. Mary.
0: Yeah, Audrey St. Mary and why Douglas was helping him.
5: And I was going to say, well, it's because in Tarzak, he finds out that Martin's not getting paid, but...
0: I wonder if it's, though, this is the first time his men with a van have come up. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm this is the first time Douglas hasn't offered a chance to help.
5: Maybe on a, a very, you know, very sort of speculative, headcanon-y note, I think Douglas is probably just kind of bored. Um, By now, he, this is Ottery St. Mary, he's already divorced his wife, you know, he doesn't have anything to go home to, so, you know, does he really have nothing better to do than go move a piano to Devon? Like, <laughs> it's just kind of very speculative sort of is douglas really that bored does he not have friends yeah i don't know i don't know just me rambling
0: i, I think this is like the beginning foundations of setting up her and carolyn
5: yeah definitely it's, uh, we it's,
0: sort of saw their relationship in newcastle but this is when we're really seeing like how their relationship works and it, it does come up again you know like they go to the beach and Carolyn's like i don't want to go to the beach but like she actually really does
5: I don't know if you have read this, and I don't remember if it was on Jonathan Moore's blog or if it was on his Twitter, but he said that Carolyn actually does like opera. She just pretends to not like it to annoy her. <sighs> I, I absolutely adore that because it's so symbolic of their relationship which you, we obviously get introduced to you know really properly in Audrey St. Mary that it's all about this push and pull and you know it's very kind of biting sarcastic very kind of on the surface dysfunctional relationship but it's a beautiful thing <laughs> oh
6: hello what
3: a ridiculous dog <laughs> I'm sorry I said you have a ridiculous dog.
2: My dog is not ridiculous.
3: Then whose dog is this? (laughs) Hello there. What is she? She is a -a cockapoo. Oh, a -a cockapoo. Obviously, I'd never have called her ridiculous had I known she was a -a cockapoo. It is a cross between a poodle and... Cockatoo? A
5: a a cocker spaniel. I'm
0: I'm I'm waiting for the moment when Arthur's like, But, Mom, I thought you loved the opera.
5: (laughs) Or for, like, Herc to go over to Carolyn's house and she has, like, just tons of musicals and, like, you know, CDs of opera and live productions and all this stuff. And he's like, what is this? And she has to be like, well, Gordon left it <laughs> or something like that. I, I
0: really like season three, actually. Like, see, I don't know if it's just because I've listened to season one so much. Um, <laughs> I... I with a friend um my my friend was saying that i've the reason that everybody in their theater department listens to or at least everybody who works in the scene shop listens to cabin pressure because they'd be having late night paint sessions and late night set set voting and got bored and she brought it and they all listen to cabin pressure but she told me like if i have to listen to them kill a cat one more time (laughs) Uh, i don't know if that's why i don't so warm to Series 1 as much. Series 2 is okay. It it has a lot of my favorite moments, but there's something really special about the Christmas episode, the St. Petersburg, like those like seven core episodes. I think we have a ton of character development, some really strong plots, some really, like the Christmas episode's so good!
5: I absolutely adore the Christmas episode. To me, I, the Christmas episode is when we really,
0: like, we sort of have a family feeling sense, but it's the first time we really, really get
5: a sense of family with these four people. It's really the first time that they're actually all really nice to one another. There's really not any significant mean-spirited games or tricks or anything in Molokai. Absolutely everybody... Working together to make Arthur happy—it just absolutely makes it my favorite. Since Arthur is my favorite,
0: and then, and that that one scene where they're just running through all the like Christmassy stuff that they made for Gertie do.
1: Oh my goodness!
6: After landing checks complete and on stand at seven minutes to midnight, precisely.
3: Arthur, we're ready. In you come. Okay, Arthur, your seven-minute Christmas starts now. Hooray! Ah! Where did you get that from? Oh, I always carry one of these. You never know.
6: (laughs) And off we go. Tree, look. It's beautiful. It's a green umbrella with a little milk bucket stapled to it. (laughs) I think it's beautiful. Decorations. Ta-da!
2: Wow! I've never seen so many of the warning lights on before.
6: Yes. (laughs) Yes, this is what happens if you tell a plane it's flying when it's actually parked. (laughs) Poor old Gertie would like us to know she's flying considerably too close to the ground and infinitely too slowly. (laughs) Direct from the aircon carvery. Here you go.
3: Oh, lovely. Seconds. Oh, why not? It's Christmas. Christmas pudding. Now, the trick here is, it's a bit like a tequila salama. You take a raisin, dip it in custard cream crumbs, and then knock it back with coffee creamer. Ready? Ready? Go.
1: Ah, <coughs> oh, oh, lovely.
5: Just a green umbrella. It's a green umbrella with milk bucket stapled on it. It's beautiful. <laughs>
0: And, and, uh, and just Arthur singing at the beginning.
6: Oh, is this the first time you've flown with Arthur on Christmas morning? Get dressed to merry, gentlemen,
2: let nothing you dismay. For it is Christmas, 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 Christmas Day. Yes. It's Christmas, 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 Christmas Day. Arthur. It is cri- I- 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 Christmas Day, Christmas Day.
5: It is cri- I- I- Christmas Day. Oh, yeah. Molokai, I think I will listen to it on Christmas Day for years to come. I listened to it for the past two Christmases. And it, you know, I, I did
0: the exact same thing. I think I listened to it twice on Christmas.
5: <laughs> I make my family listen to it on Christmas, which I'm not 100% happy about, but they'd secretly like it. I won't let them tell me anything differently.
1: And I think the other
0: episode that I just absolutely love, and I've listened to over and over and over again, is definitely Kiki
5: Targawag. Yeah, like I said, Kiki Kick. kick. Kiki was my first episode. It is definitely one of my favorites. I agree with you um, when you said that season three was your favorite because I think season three is definitely the strongest. Definitely most of my favorite episodes come from season three, but Kiki Cardwack in particular, is just so silly. Just the polar bear line. Like
0: I, I actually have it pulled up because I have a sound effects folder, and uh, uh, it was, it's in my opening thing about polar bears. It's, except for now, I can't find it. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> that that one episode was like that one part with with Arthur is one of my favorites. I, cause it's, I think it's one of the few times he also kind of tries to stand up to Arthur, to Douglas and, and Martin because, you know, he sees them as very high positions of power over him. I wouldn't say like that, but he sees them, you know, like, respect.
5: And it's one of the few times where, like, you know, Martin's like, no, we're not. Yes, we are! <laughs> I think this is one of the only moments where Arthur's enthusiasm trumps his innate respect for Martin because... Uh, Arthur obviously adores Martin and looks up to him you know he's usually very friendly but he's polite um if if Martin tells him or Douglas tells him to do something he does it but he just wants to see the polar bear so bad that he doesn't care
0: are there any episodes that you just you know like just aren't really too fond of just don't really like too much
5: I'm not actually crazy about Helsinki or Cremona, especially Cremona. I think Douglas is a little too mean to Martin. I just think it just felt very, hold on, let me just re-say all that. Um, why don't I like Cremona? I don't know why I don't like Cremona.
0: I just, I think i really fond. I, and I think we're not supposed to like the actress. But I I think so early in the series, when you're still setting up, like, everybody and stuff like that, the actress felt like she was sort of forced a bit, like, to be like, we have to have this, like, actress person to kind of show what they do for a living. And I don't know, I just, I I felt like Kamada worked worked better for me if it was a little later on, because we were still kind of sort of setting up how, like, we just had Boston with, like, a disgruntled person. Yeah. And I I think if dudes came before Cremona, I probably would have liked it a little bit better. Like two episodes in a row with two disgruntled people with the, with our babies.
5: Yeah, I guess I felt with Cremona, I felt like Douglas court sort of took sides with Hester Macaulay, the actress. I I felt and who was she was like on the surface very polite to Martin, and then was absolutely rude when she spoke about him to Carolyn, and then, you know, later she gets absolutely nasty with Martin, and I felt like Douglas was too quick to take the side of Hester Macaulay. He, in the end, obviously sp- tries to spurn her, but, I don't know, I felt like he was just, Douglas was just too douglas And then I, I don't really care for Helsinki that much, just because I don't, like, I hated seeing Carolyn feel cornered, like she wasn't in control. I didn't like that at all. And your I,
0: tea is from Helsinki.
5: Yeah, and there are parts of Helsinki that I like
0: a lot. Just so everybody knows, because I've talked about Cara's fandom teas a lot on a lot of my shows, Megan has made cabin pressure teas, and I own one of them, and I, I, I intend to get more in the future. And it's absolutely delicious. It's, uh, it's on Adagio as well. I'll put a link to her page with her tea.
5: Yes, I mean, I it's a cake tea, because that is one of my favorite moments, is when Arthur throws a huge, disgusting, muddy, runny cake at his aunt's face. That's beautiful. But I really didn't like seeing Carolyn not in a position of power. That was what Ruth did to R- Ruth's relationship to Carolyn in Helsinki. I really didn't like that. What are my, some of your not favorite episodes?
0: My I would have to say my probably least favorite e- favorite episode is Koala Loompar. Only because I, I, I it's some of the same reasons that you don't like Cremona. Like I I feel like Douglas was a bit too mean in that episode. And I could see Kuala Loompar working maybe in season one. In season two, you know, it it really surprised me he was being so mean because up to that, you know, he's been more comfortable with Martin. He has a few episodes before that, like, you know, we had Mr. Burling, they worked together with Mr. Burling, and it, it just, it felt really, you know, two steps back for his character. He he had been going very well, and he, he just felt like unnecessarily, everybody did in that episode, and then he found out that Carolyn knew the whole time, and just, it felt like it was a episode where everybody was very cruel to each other.
5: Yeah, I agree. I think the Carolyn Arthur part of Kuala Lumpur was very well done. I think the Douglas Martin part of Kuala Lumpur was too prickly for that far into season two.
0: Even at the beginning of season two, I think it would have been, worked a little bit better, because like, we, we hadn't had Mr. Burling. And, actually, no, we had, in, in season one, we had Mr. Burling. And we, but we if it was the first episode of season two, and then we got Helsinki and G'dance, and it, it, like, it, that's what it was. It was G'dance. Like, you know, Douglas knew this really terrible secret about Martin not getting paid. I think if Kuala Lumpar came before Good it would have been worked much better for me. But afterwards, when Douglas knows such a big secret about Martin, it, it's a bit of a tragic secret as well. It just felt really mean.
5: Yeah, and I, I think Martin as well was... Very much a season one Martin in Kuala Lumpur. He's very eager to be accepted. You know, sort of desperate um to. And he's be he's
0: so cocky. Like when when they're taking the yeah. listening to him, and he's just like boasting about it. Like I feel like at that point, he's already moved past that cockiness.
5: Well, to an extent, yes. Yeah, um, to an extent, totally, but not to that that level. And I mean, even Jonathan Moore himself has written um, on his blog which I have referenced so many times, it feels like I'm always on there. But um, he, he even said that he didn't particularly feel that Kuala Lumpur came out as he intended, that they did feel it did feel too mean and not in the direction that the characters were going at the time. I think Jonathan Moore would probably agree with you.
0: All right, well... To, to move on a little bit, because we're, we're well into our three-hour park. How do you feel about the fandom? I, I would say that you're probably, from what I've seen, and I might just be biased because you're my friend, so I'm on your Tumblr a lot, um, and I don't dive into the cabin pressure thing, but you seem like you're pretty well-known uh, as being like kind of a head of the fandom a little bit. Not like the queen of it, but you're my queen of my heart.
1: <laughs>
0: but I feel like, you know... Uh, you have a real good knowledge of the fandom so how do you feel about it like what's some of your favorite memes what's what some of your favorite tropes do you like any, the crossovers what are some of your least like downsides of the fandom that you're seeing a lot i mean we've already talked about it some like compared to the sherlock fandom and standing on its own like we we've talked about it some but what's some of your favorite parts and least favorite parts of this fandom
5: I will try not to sound really cocky when I say that I was one of the first Cabin Pressure bloggers. Like I said, when I started listening to Cabin Pressure roughly a year and a half ago, um, there were only a literal handful of Cabin Pressure bloggers. And I was one of the first people, there were other people who did this, but I was one of the first people who did graphics and things like that for the fandom. So I have sort of watched the fandom grow. At the beginning, I think it was actually a little rougher than it is now because it was the majority of people coming in for Benedict Cumberbatch, which... Is obviously fine but there there was sort of quite a long time that most of the fandom wasn't really super into cabin pressure you know they watched it or watched it yeah like I you know as the fandom grew and we started getting fanfic, fan art and all that fun stuff it's actually been really great I sort of consciously made a decision to be sort of exclusively part of the cabin pressure fandom because I like this fandom it's small especially compared to like sherlock or doctor who there's you know relatively little drama or any of that stuff um i will say i'm not really into like memes and that kind of stuff it's just not my thing
0: you mentioned a little bit like we see a lot of times like lemons and otters and
5: and and polar bears yeah, I mean, Captain Pressure obviously a comedy. So there's times when you know they mention things that don't seem relevant to anything, like lemons and otters and polar bears. You know, I, I do enjoy what the fandom does with these little things that we have.
0: And we have yellow car. Like I, I think that I think that's kind of the big meme is just the games. Like because I know you and I have played yellow car in person.
5: Yeah, I play a yellow car with my family, and they've only listened to Cabin Pressure a couple times. I mean, I was on the phone with my mom today, and we were both driving in different cars, obviously. But she said yellow car, and I was like, that's not fair. I don't see a yellow car, then that's not being a yellow car. But I do love that people play the games, and, you know, people embrace these, you know, these cutesy little things that we have available to us. You know, there's the Lemons and Landmarks project, which I wasn't a part of at all, but I thought was fabulous. There, people in the Cabin Pressure fandom are really creative, and they're they're really great. I, you know, generally don't enjoy fandom, to be honest. You know, just fandom in general. I'm not talking about the Cabin Pressure fandom. Um, because I, I often find it hard to ignore the things that I don't like. But there's very little of that in Cabin Pressure fandom that I found. And so, you know, it's really, I, I really like it. I, I love being a part of it. How do you feel about all the crossovers
0: like Cabin Lock?
5: I'll be honest, I'm not a huge fan, and I will tell you why. I like really weird crossovers. I generally like AUs and sort of the crossovers that you'll never, ever think of doing because they have no actors or characters in common. I, the thing is, I generally dislike when people cross over two universes that have little to nothing in common besides a common actor. Cabin Lock is, like, people have come up Amazing fan I've read. I just I just personally don't enjoy it very much, just because I sometimes feel that people rely too much on this sort of trope of oh Sherlock, since Sherlock is played by Benedict Cumberbatch and Mar- um, Martin, creep is played by Benedict Cumberbatch. You know the trope that oh they're twins, oh they look alike, or I
0: like I, cause I, I to, to talk so. about you, Cookies. I um I actually really like the crossover Captain Locke, and my favorite version is that Martin is their half brother his father had uh Sherlock's father had an affair with Martin's mother that that's usually the take I like I don't like them being
5: twins because I think there's too much of an age difference And I think there's too much of a personality difference yeah. as well um they're, <laughs> they have
0: completely different personalities
5: yeah they can they can I cannot see like Sherlock and Martin Creef existing in the same room without Martin Kreef like crying um <laughs> It's, you know, I have I have read plenty of crossover fics. I've read Doctor Who and, um, sure. I don't even know what that's called. Um, Doctor Pressure, that sounds a little weird. I mean, maybe Kevin Who? I don't know. Cabin Who, there we go. You know, I've read Kevin fic- Locke's um that have all been absolutely amazing. Really just not my thing. Um, I probably wouldn't like my, my fanfic.
0: I don't know. I might. It's Kevin Stein. It's, uh, Frankenstein, uh, that. Ben was in mixed with cabin pressure.
5: Uh huh. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you should send it to me and I'll read it. I haven't updated it since September. I gotta do that. I'm behind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
5: That's why I don't write fix anymore. Well, oh, no, it was just like I it was I hit Christmas
0: season and now I have multiple jobs, so yeah. <laughs> and by the time I get home, I'm just like, oh, I'm tired. But I have to edit podcasts and do all this stuff.
5: And you have this monsterly long over three hour crap to edit this no
0: problem. It's gonna
5: get edited down and
0: We we did uh one time like a six hour Doctor Who special. It was ridiculous. But we covered the entirety of Matt Smith's first season episode by episode. God. And also, this is probably going to be my only Cabin Pressure podcast. Maybe if we get the next season or next series of episodes, I might do want to recap the season, but it's never going to be, like, the entire series by itself. Well, I mean, what would you like to see from the coming seasons? What do you think they're going to do when we hit Z? Do you think it's good, Z is going to be a special standalone episode, kind of like the Christmas special, where it will just kind of be that say-all, end-all? Or do you think we're going to get a completely new series?
5: You know, I'm inclined to think that Z will be a special episode, maybe an Easter special or a Christmas, another Christmas special. I wouldn't mind seeing the Z episode being the first episode of Season 5. You know, I sort of have this, I don't know, personal idea that, you know, Don Moore could work backwards from the alphabet from Z instead of starting over from A again. So that would, you know, to see Z episode, I would like to see new episodes. I would just like having pressure to continue. So many people, um, and this is going to probably be me ranting a little bit, so many people have automatically assumed that the Z episode is going to be Zurich. It could very well be Zurich, We just don't know. First of all, Jonathan Moore has said that he hopes that cabin pressure and is his intention for cabin pressure to continue. But that's not entirely in his hands. That's, you know, BBC funding. That's his producer. That's the schedule of the actors. This could be, theoretically, the last series of cabin pressure if the cards don't line up in the future. As far as the Z episode goes, look, I don't care if it's Zurich or Zimbabwe or the fit and Zoo. Like, I don't care. I want more cabin pressure. Fit and Zoo would be so cool. <laughs> I didn't think of I Arthur. Think like, like, Arthur just trying to, like, swim with a dolphin or something. Right, right. Or trying to, like, climb in a lion's cage or something. Um,
0: I don't... I
5: as far as um, things I want to see in the new series, if there is one, to be very honest, I don't know, because I had so many things that I, I wanted from season four. It wasn't that those were or weren't fulfilled. It was more like things I never even considered happened in season four. And I'm still sort of digesting everything that's happened recently. Obviously, I want MJN to continue as MJN with, Martin and Douglas and Arthur and Carolyn you know I'd like to see Martin go somewhere I don't know what that would be I'd like to see something happen to him I'd really definitely um, like to explore Herc and Carolyn's relationship if Herc did take this job at Swissair, which is sort of vaguely alluded to what's Carolyn going to do is you know is Herc going to commute to Fitton from Zurich, you know it's possible. I'd really like to see what happens with Carolyn and Herc, and how does Arthur fit into the Carolyn Herc relationship as well? I can't recall thinking of many really good Herc and Arthur moments. So, you know, if Herc ends up being a father figure to Arthur, what is you know how it's, how is that going to play out? Also, what's what's going to happen with Douglas? You know, he can't stay alone forever. He's he's Douglas.
0: Some of the things I want to see from uh, Season 3 is I, I kind of want to see the first episode where Martin accepts the job and he goes and he's spending time with Teresa and I think and he just realizes it's just not where he needs to be. I don't think he's going to be happy. I, I, I really would like to hear like you know see that very first episode episode setting up you know like him leaving and then returning to MJ in there. And, Realizing that's where it needs to be, I I kind of like you know I've been sort of writing and playing around with this role in a fan fiction with a friend of mine where he he goes to Carol and I'm like I don't want to get paid a, mo- a lot but if if we make any money whether it's ten dollars or a thousand I get ten percent of it so sometimes he brings home a dollar
5: sometimes he brings home a hundred dollars. Yeah, It'd be really interesting. I wonder how MJN. I, I I know a lot of people do think that Herc would step in. For MJN, if Martin were to leave, I mean, to be honest, I'm just thinking of the practical implications of that. So I wonder if Martin did take the job, how like what would happen to MJN in the short term? You know, even if Martin comes back, you know, would they just start up again? Or you know, would Carolyn have sold the plane in the meantime? You know, I don't know. There's a lot to think about.
1: I
0: don't know. I because I, I I don't. I think if Hart came back, I think they'd be able to perform more jobs because they'd be able to rotate among three pilots among two. So I think they would actually start building themselves up financially, you know, because they could take on more. They might could get a second plane, a better plane, but then it wouldn't be Gertie anymore. And, like, I just feel like, you know, like Arthur but be, being like, but Gertie's going to get jealous if we get a prettier plane.
5: She's right. <laughs> the way she is. That's exactly right. I, I wouldn't want to see MJN without Gertie. I said it before. I'll say it again. I that plane and that crew together. That's what makes MJN.
0: But um, I do want to see Arthur. I think I mentioned have maybe a love interest, like or maybe someone who just you know. Or I I don't know. He needs his JN.
5: Uh, <laughs> I really just want Arthur to have a friend. Yeah, uh, these seem like his friends. Like, whether that is a 12-year-old or, you know... A, a, I saw that with Maxi, though, a little bit, though. Yeah! I, I'd like
0: to see Arthur and Maxi back together.
5: I don't have hesitations about that, but I'm thinking of the original cut of um, Vaduz, which um, had a, kind of a different tone, where Arthur... They left in the whole... Um, Thing where you can't be a king of a principality. There's no such thing. The highest you can, highest you can be is like a prince. And so Arthur's like, well, can I be king? And Maxie's like, there is no king. You can't be king. And Mar- well, Arthur's like, well, why don't you want to be king? And Maxie's like, this is all in John Moore's blog, by the way. You can read that instead of my horrible paraphrasing. But basically, Arthur like kind of tricks Maxie into giving him the kingship of Liechtenstein, even though it doesn't exist. And so I really liked that original Arthur-Maxie friendship. I liked it more than the one that we ended up with. I guess I'll just say that.
0: And then I guess, I, like, as you said, I want to see more from Carolyn and Herc's relationship. I, I, I really, really, really do want to know what happened between Herc and Douglas. I Like, that's just something that probably... Out of everything I want to see in the future, that just really bugs me. And it's like, I really wanna know what happened to make them, like, and if it's just flat out, like, if Douglas, if Martin's just like, what happened with you guys? He's just like, you know what? We just don't get along, you know. We we always grated on each other's nerves. We just went up to each other. It's just it's, we just don't like each other. I'd be totally cool with that, but I mean, I owe it. But by not telling us, it makes me think that there's something more going on.
5: Yeah, I think there's definitely a wealth of information there that we could potentially get or not get.
0: Finally, uh, do you this is my last point. Do you have any other recommendations from John Finamore for anything else?
5: Any readings we should do? Definitely if you haven't already checked out John Finnemore's Souvenir program, you should do that. It has two seasons of four episodes each. each what is episode- the Souvenir program about, Megan? It's Souvenir program is it's not like Cabin Pressure. Um Cabin Pressure is a sitcom, you know, has recurring characters, a recurring theme, a recurring setting. The souvenir program is a sketch comedy show. So, you'll from they have 30-minute episodes and you'll get anywhere from you know two to six minute little comedy sketches about totally different things you know there's a there's a doctor one of the more um, well-known sketches from souvenir program is the man who wants to make the noise of the TARDIS you know it's just a little funny sketch about a guy who always who from a very young age he wants to be the noise of the TARDIS when he grows up and you know, have little snippets of his life as you know he's getting older and he, it's him pursuing his dream of making the noise of the TARDIS I won't spoil it for you because it's very very funny it's a different humor than Kevin pressure I will say that so not everybody that likes cabin pressure will like souvenir program but if you like Kevin Pressure, it's, or, you know, any other sort of CDC sketch comedy stuff, you'll probably like souvenir program.
0: And would you like to say anything else about your blog that uh, promoting? you want to say it one more time, what
5: it is? It's Com. It's spelled like Icarus and then I-N-G, so... Which is an Ottery St. Mary reference. Sort of, I. it kind of, well, the URL Icarus was taken. But then I sort of turned it into a verb, uh, like just to try to do something and to have a lot of passion for something, but maybe to a fault. Martin is very much like Icarus. You know, he tries very hard, but doesn't always get him um, where he wants to go. But, you know, it's kind of tragic and beautiful. Same time. It's like, anyway. Um... <laughs> <laughs> That's my blog. Um, I post stuff other than cabin pressure. To each his own, so
0: very much so. Damn,
5: that's everything.
0: We did it! Yay! Hooray! Hooray!
5: Hooray! <laughs> oh, I think I have exhausted, like, all of my... Had your feelings? And my theories, and my headcanons, and everything.
0: That's good. I'm, I'm really, really glad.
5: <laughs> Except for one. Okay, can I say this?
0: Yeah, totally. Go ahead.
5: Okay, so if MJN fails, I know that in Eva dunlap Arthur says that he wants to be a hotel bellboy, but I've always had this headcanon, that he, with the money they make off I'm um, selling Gertie for parts, that he buys an ice cream truck and becomes the ice cream man of Fitton. <laughs> That's just something I've always wanted to see. It was totally pointless, but I thought I'd share.
0: You know, I, I hate to do this, like to jump into another point, but you brought up like a really good point. Like, what, what would they all do if MJ and her ever failed? Like, I kind of see them all like staying together and owning the shop. Yeah, and it's I, called like MJ in Shop or something.
5: Uh, <laughs> shop. I <laughs> shop now. Um.
0: Like, and I, I just, I, I, would love to see an episode where they think they're all failed and they're trying to set up a shop and they're trying to get it working, and then like something happens and it works out on airline again. Like, I just, I, I, would love to see them in that like, different setting or, or they're fundraising together. I would love to see them like, you know, Arthur's like, well, let's have a fundraiser. We'll, we'll <laughs> a sell Mom, you used to own a sweet shop. We can sell sweets. You know how to make them. And Carolyn just wants nothing of it. But yes. they realize it's actually a good way to like buy maybe this one part they, that that they need. So they have to work together and fundraise for to get this one part.
5: I just see Arthur's enthusiasm so clearly. I really think if MJN ended... MJ Douglas would end up as like a really in like a really shitty pilot job. Even worse than MJN. There are bad pilot jobs and I think Douglas would end up at one of them. I really don't think he would end up at a better job because of his um a criminal record. I think Arthur would be happy doing anything, but like I said, I really have a head of Arthur the Ice Cream Man, a fitting. And I think Carolyn would retire to bother Herc as much as possible.
0: <laughs> I just you know how like you have all those mighty death movies and like You know, in the sequels, they always have that scene in the beginning where there's, like, the one captain, like, scrolling around and, like, waving everybody back to the team, and they're all skating together. I just see Arthur just being like, Mom, we can do this. And they're like, okay, let's go get Douglas and Martin. And they, like, fly out to the dudes. And they're like, Mom, he's like, I'm sorry, Teresa. I have to be a pilot. (laughs) My people need me. (laughs) My fandom needs me. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think it would be? Continue on if we had a change in actor because, like, what if we have a situation like Newcastle up here, Rise Because we could, because you know, they're all very busy actors. But I know with Sherlock coming up, Star Trek coming up, they still have some filming to do with The Hobbit. You know, if you go on INDV with Benedict Cumberbatch, he's lined up, man. He has like seven movies in pre production.
5: You know, Roger yeah. Allen is also super busy, he does a lot of um, theater work, um not a lot of movies, but. He does a lot of voice work and a lot of theater work. And he was actually, at the time of recording, had a tighter schedule than Benedict Cumberbatch, which is kind of hard to imagine.
0: I know. Do you think like we could continue the series, um, and if it'd be uh, uh, how well it would do if we have you know Tom Goodman Hill come back or any other actors to step in maybe for an episode or two?
5: I think it would depend entirely on the quality of the actor.
0: If Alan Rickman came back and did uh, Roger Allen, that'd be
5: okay. (laughs) I would be 100% okay with that. No, but I really think it would, I think it could work. But like I said, I think it would depend entirely on the quality of the actor. We've had such a long run that I don't think that an actor with his or her own approach to the character would work very well at this point for someone to step in and you know try and change the way a character speaks or interacts with the other characters would not work but someone like tom goodman hill who worked very very hard to emulate how martin speaks martin's mannerisms that would work i in my opinion
0: no more i I quit
5: i I stop now i'm calling it all right i'm gonna go eat tacos
0: Thank you so much, Megan, for being on my show. Uh, I I've really enjoyed this. This has been really super duper fun.
5: Thank you for letting me ramble on about cabin pressure for an an ornament amount of time.
0: Oh, I that is totally okay. Like, and, and <laughs> I I am really excited to see how well this episode does. Like I'm always surprised when like my really super duper long episodes get a lot of downloads, but like my like little hour long like episodes get like done. <coughs> I don't understand. I'm like, why do people want to listen to me for, like, three and a
5: half hours? Maybe it's, like, the commitment. Like, man, I don't want to listen to this girl for an hour, but three hours? Yeah.
0: I I don't get it. Like, my Once Upon a Time episode was, like, almost three hours, and it got got so many downloads in, like, the course of, uh, like, a few days, and it was more than any of my, some of my other ones, and I was just blown away. I just didn't get it. I was
5: <laughs> maybe, maybe people think that, you know, an hour-long episode is just going to be kind of fluffy, whereas a really long episode will be, like, really in-depth and, like, explore a lot of things that they're interested in. I don't know.
0: Lord knows that we got in-depth on this one.
5: Shit. I mean, I, too in-depth sometimes. I need a nap. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, everyone, thank you so much for listening to Hope Ball Trades. We're a part of the Two True Freaks podcast. Please go check out some of the other guys' shows. They're so well, uh, they're, they're so good. I know they just put up the new Walking Dead Wednesday going on. If you would like to sponsor a show, uh, you can always go to our page. There's, like, a little donate button. You can click on that one, like, put in the amount you want to donate. Or we have a little Amazon logo. If you click on that, it'll take you straight to Amazon. It won't cost you anything extra. You just buy what you want. And Amazon, for using that little ad, will give us, like, a little percent of it and stuff. But it's no extra to you. Go shop to your heart's desire. Just stop by our website first at com. I don't
5: forget
0: to check net. And, yeah, just give us a check out and stuff like that. So uh, thank you so much, Megan, for joining me today.
5: Thank you for having me.
0: And I hope you guys all have a wonderful day. And I will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
4: And there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com 2 True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S Libson is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Freaks!